Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Lovely morning out there, but don't be lulled into a false sense of security. Looks like it's going to be a real scut of an evening. It's going to turn horrible later if we're to believe all of the weather models, and there is a warning in place for wind and probably even for plenty of rain as well. As I say, lovely morning followed by a scut of an evening. But that's how it is in the middle to back end of February. Good morning, 1850-715-996, the number to call. The text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696, the email opinion at 96fm.ie. Coming up, we now have a handle on what's going to happen with the Leaving Cert. It'll be starting the written form as planned, subject to public health advice, on the 9th of June. Students will have a choice whether they want to sit an exam or do a calculated, or they're calling them now accredited grades in any particular subject. So we now at least have a plan. Is it going to work is the next question. Are people happy with it is the question after that. And most importantly, are the students happy with it? Sod the teachers, sod the teachers' unions, sod everybody. Are the students happy with what is being done for them uh, this June? I'll be catching up with the Irish Secondary School Students' Union very shortly. With regard to people being invited for vaccines, a very interesting story. Starting to get a lot of uh, traction on Facebook and not the first one I've heard. I have another one that I can add to it. Uh, Of people being called for vaccines, which is great. Elderly people being called for their vaccine, but the vaccine centre is miles and miles away uh, and might even be in a different county. Certainly could be several miles away and they have no transport. So that's coming a little bit later on. But first of all, I want to start with um, a very unfortunate milestone passed yesterday in this country. On March the 11th last year, the first COVID-19 death was recorded in the Republic of Ireland. And we had our first case recorded on the 29th of February and our first death was recorded on the 11th of March. The first Cork death was later that month. As of yesterday, the figures stand that 4,036 people have now died from COVID-related illness. A thousand of them in three weeks of the past month. Now, also we hear that while the numbers, the case numbers, are on the way down because of the level 5 restrictions we're living under, 
tough though they are. They are working. Case numbers are on their way down. Yesterday was 600 and something cases. What was it? I'll get it right there now. 650 additional cases yesterday with 46 in Cork yesterday. Kerry had none, by the way. But 90% of new cases coming out are being discovered are now the UK variant. And we know it spreads faster and we know it makes people sicker and we know it's more dangerous. We hope, of course, that vaccines will deal with it like they're dealing with other par- other variants of COVID-19. There's a bit of positivity, but a bit of negativity and nervousness about where we go from here. We're supposed to be getting schools back from the 1st of March. That seems to be the sounds coming out of government now, that they'll start to bring the schools back from the 1st of March. Junior infants, uh, senior infants, maybe first class, and then leaving certs to be prioritised in secondary schools. I think there's a few things we need to discuss with a friend of the opinion line and one of our, shall we say, team of go-to experts with regard to COVID-19 at this point. And that, and that is uh, pr- from the UCD School of Medicine, uh, Dr. Jack Lambert. Jack, good morning to you. Good morning. Good to talk to you again. Uh, you're concerned, I think, about where we go from here, particularly with regard to schools. Well, well, you know, I, I'm, not con- I'm not concerned. I have kids in school. I want my son back in school. Um, but we need to actually really, what I would say, up the ante in terms of our COVID prevention in the community. You know, there were, there were even before the lockdown, you know, there, there, if you look at, I walk around the community, we weren't doing things right in terms of COVID prevention. You know, my son tells me that some, some teachers were wearing visors, but no masks, you know. Um, you know, kids after school congregating, teachers after school congregating for coffee without using masks. This virus is very, very unforgiving. You need to do things 100% right and not 50% right or not 60% right. So absolutely, I'm in support of, you know, living with COVID, opening up safely, getting kids back to school. But I think we actually have to redouble our efforts to make sure that all of our ducks are in a row, in a row because because the, the, the prevention efforts that were used three months ago are probably not going to be enough for this even more infectious strain of virus that is now circulating. So that's my point. So what kept schools safe between September and Christmas aren't going to work now is what you're saying? It's a possibility. It might not work. And, I, I, and I'm just saying, and the reason I, I, I'm saying that is because I... I see, you know, I, I see patients coming into the hospital who have been cocooning, you know, religiously. I see staff members who are meticulous in terms of their COVID prevention, and they're still catching COVID. Uh, and that wasn't the situation in the first wave. That's been that's my observation. This new strain of virus, the UK virus, which back in September was maybe a few percent of the cases, you know. Now in Ireland, it's probably 80, 90 percent of the cases it's even more infectious. We have to do even better in, in terms of our infection control to ensure success in opening up, you know, the community and opening up the schools and opening up all the other, you know, uh, organizations that need to open up safely. So the word coming out of the Department of Education now, Doctor, is that they're looking at the 1st of March as a starting point for, say, the very youngest of children in, in in primary school and the leaving certs in the uh, secondary schools. Is it wise to set a date 
Well, of course it's wise to set a date, but then it's also contingent upon, if you look at the numbers, I'm also concerned that the numbers aren't going down as quick as we'd want them to. You know, if you think about it, if you've got six, seven, eight hundred a day circulating in the community, back in October, we locked down when there was 1,400 you know, there was a peak of 1,400. The following day, we, or a couple of days later, we dropped to 777. We locked down with, with the numbers that we're now thinking about opening up. Um, now, we're hoping the numbers will go down from 800 to 400 to 200 over the next two, three weeks. And we're all kind of, you know, praying and crossing our fingers. But it's not just about praying. Yeah, we actually have to do, what are we doing to guarantee or to kind of assist in making sure these numbers go down. The, the virus is still circulating in the community. People are going to work. There's outbreaks in supermarkets. There, there's the emergency daycares that are opened right now. Mm. There's outbreak in those daycares. Um, I, I guess I'm just saying the writing's on the wall is that we, we, we're not doing enough. We need to do more. And all of the COVID prevention, masks, you know, extra hand sanitation, sanitation of surfaces. We're not doing it good enough, and people are not, you know, following the letter of the law. Have people people gotten a little bit complacent? Of course. Of course there's an element of complacency. Absolutely. You know, know, so, 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 but but then again, I I, I stepped back a second, and and look, I I was just over in the hospital, and I, I looked at my staff, I said, wash your hands. You know, it's like I said, I wash my hands every time I touch the surface. End of story. You know, and then, yeah, even even the staff in the hospital, you, you just, you let down your guard. Of course you do. But I just think the way we successfully, you know, open up society, open up the schools, open up the spe- special needs schools, the leaving sir, is we, we, we put on a campaign of, yes, let's redouble our efforts. Let's not be complacent. You know, six months ago, I wasn't sure we'd even have a vaccine. I was hoping we would. Mm. Now we've got lots of vaccines. I keep on saying the light's at the end of the tunnel. Now, the vaccines are not coming quick enough, of course, but that's not the, part of, that's not the fault of the Irish government. In the meantime, we need to do even better in COVID prevention. This is the point, especially mm. in light of these new extra infectious, infectious virus variants that are now the predominant strain in Ireland, and actually I think it's 26 different countries have, have, have the UK strain. It's not just one or two countries, yeah. it's, it's all over the world. Of all places, last week we got those three cases in Auckland, New Zealand. Yep. You know, so it can get, it can get anywhere. There's a school of thought, Jack, that says now that we are able to protect the most vulnerable with vaccine and, and things like that, um, that we should just protect the vulnerable and let everybody else take their chances. Is that ever a wise thing to do? Absolutely not. Um, if there was no vaccine, that, you know, if there, if there was no vaccine, the only option is herd immunity, let everybody get the infection. Um, but we do have vaccines, you know, and, and I, ju- I just think that, and, and then number two, a vaccine is not going to be 100% protective. Okay, if you get a vaccine, Maybe the new vaccines are coming along. They're 70% protective, but you still have a 30% chance of not responding to the vaccine. So, so let everybody get it, and then some of the vulnerable won't respond to the vaccine. Look at the number of deaths. Yeah. Look at the number of deaths. You can't take that chance, especially since a vaccine 
Number, numerous vaccines are available now. So, so the other message is, even though I've got a vaccine now, I, I was vaccinated and, and I'm so relieved to get it, but I want everybody else to get it, including school teachers, including all my colleagues that haven't got it yet. Um, but I'm still using, I'm still religiously using a mask and washing my hands because I might be the 10% that don't respond to the vaccine. And then, like I said, if you let herd immunity go wild, uh, you know, it let everybody in the community get it, there's going to be collateral damage and that's going to be vulnerable who didn't get the vaccine or vulnerable who didn't respond to the vaccine. They're going to die. Plus the fact that pe- many of the people who've been worst affected by this have been people who thought they were fit and healthy and the next thing they know, they're on a ventilator. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's a very unforgiving virus. And look, the, 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 the death rate is, you know, is low. You know, you understand, every, every flu has a death, a certain death rate. Um, five out of current statistics, or maybe five out of a thousand people that COVID get COVID, you know, can, can end up dying of it. But, you know, if five, five out of a thousand, if you multiply that, in a country with 5 million people, that's a lot of dead people. And that's an avoidable tragedy. So we should do all we can, vaccine, COVID prevention, uh, and not even go down the herd immunity pathway. Some stories emerging from around the world, uh, and given that infectious diseases are what you you specialize in, Jack, looking at a story from California where they seem to have found a person infected with two variants at the same time. Is that a concern? Well, 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 yes and no. But it just it just goes. I mean, it's the same. COVID is COVID. You know, if you get the, the mutant and you, or you get the regular virus, and you're that, you know, five in a thousand who has a bad course and dies, it's it's the same issue. But the issue is, is the virus is mutating all the time. There's there's thousands of mutations already in Ireland. You understand? The, the virus has been mutating, uh, you know, for over the last six twelve months. And it's going to continue to mutate um, along the way. So, so, so the message really is, is that we need to quickly get the vaccine rolled out because the longer we have the virus circulating, you know, in large populations, the more of a chance it has to mutate. If there's only three people infected, you know, a day, there's less chance to mutate. If there's 600 people infected a day, there's 600 chances to mutate. So, and, and the only, so COVID prevention and rapid access to vaccines yeah. are, is a solution. So the, the, I think the importance, what you're saying, the importance of getting to the exceptionally low levels we were at last summer, is it's, it's even more important to get there now. Even more important now, as, as we realize that this virus is, is, is mutating, you know, more than we'd anticipated. And it's actually mutating. And unfortunately, and we, we didn't know six months ago this virus was going to become more infectious you know that the new mutant virus this this is this is a new virus uh you know it's a new strain of a virus we you know science isn't prepared for this we 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 can't anticipate what's going to happen next so yes i think we absolutely have to you know do all the right things rapidly get the vaccines going rapidly get the numbers down and the numbers are not going down and that's my concern you know, we went into lockdown the 26th of December. Here we are. It's good that we're down from 6,000 a day, but 6,000 to 1,000, 600 to 1,000 a day on an ongoing basis uh, without it going down substantially. Over, you know, it's not gone down. It's gone down 20%, you know, over, over the last week and stuff. The trend is right, but, um, but, but 
I'm, I'm holding my breath to see what happens a week from now, two weeks from now. And, and my concern is when I drive home in rush hour traffic and it's taken me five traffic lights to get through, you know, the, the, the traffic at Fairview on my way to my home in Clontarf. If it's taken me five, you know how many cars are on the road? Yeah. That's a lot of cars on the road. Yeah. That's a lot of people who are mingling in community, potentially spreading the virus. Uh, that that is that is a concern to me. Yeah, the, of course. Come the fifth of March, which is when this phase is, is supposed to end, people are itching now to get their children back to school, to get construction open again, and other businesses to follow. I think what I'm hearing here is we must be even more careful than we were on previous occasions. Absolutely, and in, and in the supermarkets, you know, I mean, I mean, and we open up stores wherever we open, you know, I mean. We give lip service to enforcing lockdown. We give lip service to COVID prevention precautions. But I walk around town. People aren't doing it right. People are not even educating, supporting. You know, if your security guard is standing at the front, not limiting number of people going in on their mobile phones, paying no attention, and there's no good hand sanitation facilities, you know, soap rather than alcohol, uh, there really needs to be a detailed plan in the community. And as of this last weekend, in some places in the community, there's not. And, and there's announcements of outbreaks in, in the grocery stores. Well, no surprise, because some grocery stores are, are not doing the right thing and not enforcing COVID prevention. We have to get this right. I was in a public building the other day. I shall not name where it was or what I was doing there, but it was private business, but I was in a, in a public building. And there were four sanitizer machines at the door. Not one of them had a drop of it in them. Right. Middle of the afternoon, Jack. Yeah, but this is my point, you know, Jesus, you know, I mean, seriously, this is a serious disease that can cause people to die. I take it seriously. I have staff up in the ICU managing patients and they're brokenhearted every time a patient dies. You know, that's the consequence of this. It's really personal. Yeah, I can hear it in your voice, Jack. I can hear it in your voice. Uh, And... um, you mentioned surfaces and grocery stores, and of course they've been open throughout because they're essential. But just on the topic of surfaces, can you get infected by your own shopping? I think so. Absolutely, I think so. And and I didn't believe this. One of my colleagues, you know, in December says, I think my brother-in-law caught COVID from a FedEx delivery. You know, one of the FedEx guys must have had COVID in his hands and then spread it from the package. And I said, I don't think so. But subsequently, I have so many people that um, that were cocooning. Their only risk factor was grocery deliveries to the house. So they must have contacted it from the surface of, of, of that. So, you know, this kind of worries me that how infectious this is. I ask every question that's admitted to the hospital. It's not badly behaving patients. It's patients that made little slip-ups they weren't even aware of. So, yes, I think the virus... It's less likely to spread on surfaces. It's more likely to spread by, you know, somebody coughing on you from somebody not using a mask. But yes, it's on surfaces, absolutely. And that is a source of transmission. So my advice is, you know, wash down your, when you go to the grocery store, wash everything down yourself on the way in, on the way out. If something's delivered to your house, wash the package down before, you know, you accept it. And that is an additional risk factor. Um, and, 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 we haven't been emphasizing that with this new strain of the virus. I think it's an additional risk. But number one risk is respiratory. Wear a mask, wear a good mask, wear two masks. 
you know, wash your hands every time you put your mask on and off, wash your hands every time you touch your surface. That's what I'm doing, and that's what I think everybody should be doing religiously. Finally, I heard a little bit of analysis of the figures this morning, which I think seems very positive, and I just wanted to put it to you. It would appear that new infections, like the 650 yesterday and whatever we'll have today, that new infections among healthcare workers on the front line have come way down, and it correlates with the vaccination program. Does that give cause for enthusiasm? Absolutely. And I think I think if you look in America, if you look in Israel, um, I think vaccines are making a difference. You know, there, there, there's going to be there's going to be less infections as people are vaccinated, you know. Um, so, so absolutely. But then but then I think. All, so, so, yes, I think the vaccines are going to make a difference. And the, the more percentage of the population that is vaccinated, the less transmissible this this virus is going to be. So, so I think that's a good news story as well. All right. Well, I, I think we'd finish on that positive note. And thank you, as always, for your contribution to the opinion line. That's Dr. Jack Lambert uh, from the UCD School of Medicine. Calling it like it is. He's done that since day one. Uh, we are nowhere near ready. And if we come out of this a split second too, too early, we'll be back in trouble again very, very soon. That's a very strong message from Dr. Lambert. Thanks, Jack. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning sports show. Right, right here, right then. The score on Cork's 96FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sport as we focus on Arsenal versus Manchester City in the Premier League. We speak to former Everton captain Kevin Ratcliffe and Monster travel to Edinburgh in the Pro 14. Right here, right now. Join Trevor Welch for The Score this Sunday from 2pm with Foley's Plumbing. When it comes to solving your plumbing problems, they're in a league of their own. See foleysplumbing.ie on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996 on Cork's 96FM. I didn't ask Jack Lambert about the quarantine provisions that are coming in, but the very fact that we won't have whatever quarantine the government are bringing in won't be law until the 1st of March. In the midst of what is the most infectious variant we could possibly have in our midst and can come from anywhere in the world at this stage, they're faffing about with this quarantine. like no, like It's just ridiculous um, as... as Kate says, I heard in the news last night the government are having another meeting to discuss the hotel quarantine plan. Well, they did pass it. They, they passed it. Cabinet passed some legislation late last night. All right. Jacinda Ardern had New Zealand closed in four hours. Look at them now. People should be stopped when they arrive and put on buses. The government have a lot to answer for. Yeah, I haven't seen Jacinda's press conference today. She does one every day. I haven't seen her, her new one for today, but the 72 hour. Auckland lockdown was due to be ending or at least being relaxed uh, today. Uh, So I don't know how that's going. With regard to Victoria in Australia, in Melbourne, have you seen where the tennis they'll have, they will have spectators back at the tennis from tomorrow 
uh, at 50% capacity after a five-day lockdown. When you do it right, and you do it right, you can do it. Infection control, that's what it's all about. I'm sick of seeing people walking into shops and not sanitizing. Also, I've walked into one or two shops on the way to work and no sanitizer in the sanitizers. I won't tell you where I was the other day, but it was a public building, a busy public building, a public building that's open for essential services. And there wasn't a drop of sanitizer in six dispensers. Not a drop of the stuff. I'm also getting a bit sick of these dispensers that either prop- they're not properly anchored down, they don't work, all you get is a little spit of it. It's Jack Lambert is right. You're supposed to sanitize your hands going in and out of anywhere. If there's no sanitizer in the in the in the container, what what point is there even having it there? Paul says, PJ, I know in the last four weeks or so we've seen over over a thousand deaths, but this time last year, after seeing the Chinese death toll, if you told us that less than three thousand would have died by the end of the year, I'd have said no way. I know it's a lot, but it could have been more. Absolutely, Paul. It could have been so many more, so much more. Like we have had four thousand deaths, nearly half of them, or at least a third of them, in nursing homes with three lockdowns. Can you imagine if we hadn't had three lockdowns? How many people would be dead or dying? Frank says, could it be spreading through people putting out their bins? Yeah, it could. It absolutely could. Surfaces are the problem. Jack Lambert has been telling us surfaces are the problem. Someone has been saying on another radio show, if you know how many times today you washed your hands, you haven't washed them enough. The hands will be washed off you. They'll be withered and sore. My poor son, from washing his hands and sanitizing, his poor hands are sore and his skin is wrinkled from it. But you have no choice. We have no choice. Morris says it's fair enough to comment on the government... What we really need said repeatedly is that it's the person in the street spreading the disease. The student in Galway, the person taking a chance visiting a friend. You know what will happen if the government passes stricter laws? The minute someone goes into the court, it'll be civil rights this, civil rights that. If people follow the guidelines, we'd be laughing. If people break draconian laws, we won't have enough police and military to enforce them. Be sure of it. In other words, if we get more draconian... Yeah, I love what you're saying, Morris. I love what you're saying. Just look around you. Open your eyes. People are breaking the restrictions right, left and centre. Not everybody. Not most people, in fact. But for the one person out of ten who doesn't give a damn, they're causing problems for the rest of us. There's still too many people, absolutely too many people, not following the guidelines. Thanks for that, Morris. 1850-715-996. Now, there's something coming with regard to masks. I'll just put you on your guard about this because there's been a bit of a pushback on the wearing of masks and I am somewhere between two stools on it because there are people, it's a fact, a small number of people, but they're there nonetheless, who cannot wear a mask cannot for certain reasons and there are a number of reasons which have been brought to my attention over the last couple of weeks that I would have been surprised to learn and there's things starting to happen with regard to them did you know for example and I'm just putting this out there and I have a little bit of evidence which I'll bring to you when I 
can make more of it. But there's certain evidence out there to suggest that victims of sexual assault, bear with me for a second here, victims of sexual assault struggle with wearing a mask, some victims, because it can render them, cause them to have flashbacks. Be kind about that. If you see somebody not wearing a mask in a supermarket, there may well be a reason. One of them, for example, is autism. Some people with autism struggle with the prospect of wearing a mask. My son hates it. He, he does it, but he hates it. Really bothers him. Some people can't do it at all. But there's some very interesting evidence out there now, and I will explore it over the days to come, that some people who've been a victim of a sexual assault or might have been mugged in the past are left with a form of trauma, mental trauma, that they carry and that having their face covered is very difficult for them. So well, I'll, I'll add to that over the next couple of days. There's a lot of evidence out there. 1850 715996. Let us go to the Irish Secondary Students Union, to Alicia O'Sullivan, who isn't a student, but she is their education officer. And Alicia, what I propose to do first before I uh, ask you a few things is to go through the provisions as we now understand them with regard to the Leaving Cert. Are you okay with that? Absolutely. PJ, thanks for having me. Great. Let's go through. So, the exams will start subject to public health advice on the 9th of June as planned, which is 111 days away. So the exams will, will begin as planned. Oh, the junior cert is gone, by the way, but more on that. The leaving cert will start on the 9th of June as planned, with a timetable to be published in the next couple of weeks. They'll have to change the original timetable to allow for social distancing and all of that. But every student will have a choice now whether they want to sit an exam or to take what's called an accredited grade. We don't call them calculated grades anymore. It's an accredited grade. If you sit the exam, you will be awarded the better of the two. If you choose not to sit the exam, you'll get the accredited grade. In any subject you want, that's my understanding of it anyway, whether it's, you might want to sit the exam in history and you might not want to sit the exam in French, well, in history they will award you the better of the two, whether the grade you got in the exam or the accredited grade that was calculated for you. You get the better of the two. And then in the one you didn't want to sit the exam in, you'll just get the accredited grade. That's the plan as it sits this morning. Let us go now, as I said, to Alicia O'Sullivan. Alicia, that plan, as I outlined it, is it a solution? Yeah, well, um, it's, it definitely. Um, look, I suppose it's important to say we said the same thing last year. Unfortunately, look, there'll never be a solution that is ideal or perfect for everyone. Um, and all, we think and we believe that this um, accounts for a lot of, you know, a lot of what students want, which was a, what students wanted was a choice. And we listened to students. And, I mean, if you look back three weeks ago, choice was not on the table at all. There is no talk of choice ourselves and the parents were the only people saying look you need to give students a choice this allows them to if students wish to sit the exam they can and if students feel like they, they're the last 12 months of their school life has been disrupted and they've had stress 
and they've been trying to deal with these exams while during a global pandemic. This is like the best of, of both worlds, basically. And now look at us three weeks on and we're discussing an announcement about choice. I think that's, uh, you know, a very good showing for, for student voice and, and for us as an organisation as well to, to have achieved something like this, I think is amazing. Is it a choice that you think students will be happy with, as in the, the nature of the choice, that you can sit the exam and then you get the better of the two grades, or you can choose not to sit the exam and they'll give you the accredited grade, plus the fact, and if I'm, if I'm wrong here, correct me, you can you can choose an individual subject like you you can sit four exams and be accredited in four more is 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 that am i right there yeah you're absolutely right pj um this is a lot of we would have always come to the table with pragmatic solutions like this we were one of the only people coming with solutions and actually a lot of what we were suggesting is evident like the guidelines we suggested the SEC come out with guidelines to help teachers to gather the data and, and support them and now that's going to happen so I think it's like I said there'll never be an ideal solution we would have advocated that students receive their their accredited grade as it is now known before their exams it's just not possible it's not feasible we were told by the SEC in a lot of detail why that is impossible and I, I truly do believe that... Why is it impossible in simple terms? Yes, okay, so I suppose, look, if we look back at last year, if we look at the period of time it took to make the calculated grain and distribute it, I suppose now this year the, the, it will take a matter of two months essentially to create this accredited grade for students and bring it back to them. And the SEC then need a period of time to prepare for the exams themselves. So... Um, it's a very, I, we've been told that it's a very manual setup. So mm-hmm. it takes a lot of people. Unfortunately, it can't be done with a computer. It takes people moving things, bringing in papers, moving tables and chairs and exam centres. So, and with COVID, you know, something like that isn't exactly easy. So that's why it's taking the amount of time. And we strongly do believe that the department are really trying their best here um, and have been nothing but respectful to everything we've said and we do think that this is a very good um, situation for students where you know if you choose to sit the exam you have a backup plan you have your calculated grade if you don't choose to sit the exam and you feel confident your calculated grade or accredited grade I guess I should be calling it is there for you and I think look with the stress that students have been under they deserve um, to have the accredited grade as well Why did they change it from calculated to accredited? Um, I don't know. Um, I assume that, you know, last year there was a lot of, I suppose, issues with the the department running the calculated grade, Um, particularly if you look at the courts, a lot of legal issues. Um, So I I would imagine that them giving it to the SEC takes a lot of that liability, moves it over. Um, But I I don't think it's not, it doesn't, it's not something that affects students. It's just a logistical um, sort of thing, I think. So now we know what's going to happen, supposed to happen pending public health advice, and that's very important, pending public health advice, it'll start on the 9th of June. Do do you think students feel safe that in 110 110 days' time, they may be going in to sit down in an exam centre? Well, look, um, I'm no public health expert now, obviously. Um, I suppose looking at where we are today, um, you know, low numbers, vaccines being distributed, I would see that as a positive sign, just personally. Um, 
but obviously there's always the risk with COVID. We we can't be be silly in this conversation. Like there's always a risk with COVID that something mad will happen, like a new strain, a new variant, and suddenly the whole thing is thrown up again. And that is a reality that could happen. And there's no point ignoring it because it could. So in terms of students feeling safe, like, I mean, I can't speak on behalf of students. I know for sure they didn't feel safe um, going back just after Christmas. And that was that was very much expressed to us. And we told we very much expressed to the department and the other stakeholders. Stu- students don't feel safe and it doesn't matter what it says on a piece of paper. OK, it, it doesn't feel safe for them. And if they don't feel safe, that's not a healthy environment for them to be going to school in. So, you know, we're going to be very careful walking into the next few weeks of what will happen regarding COVID. Look, COVID is no one's fault, unfortunately. And if we're dealing with a situation where COVID is out of hand, we'll have to adjust to that as well. But I, I would be in a positive place that, you know, school students were in school before Christmas in a level five. I know now we have new strains and new variants and that does change uh, the situation. Mm. But I, I would be hopeful that exams can be sat in June um, if we keep going, hopefully, with this positive um, positive kind of way with COVID yeah. that we're sitting in at the moment. There's a belief out there, Alicia, that students uh, think they're invincible and that nothing will happen to them. I, I don't think that's true. Um, no, I, I think... Um, I, I don't think our students can take any more, to be quite honest with you, PJ. Like... They've missed three months from sixth year. Their disruption all throughout sixth year, whether they had COVID or they were a close contact or their teacher had COVID or was a close contact. Now they're then just after Christmas dealing with online learning. The mental strain of the pressure of trying to focus and study for exams, which are made out to be your make or break moment, which, you know, they're not, but that's how they're made out to for these students. And, and then the uncertainty over the last few weeks. I mean, I don't think they can take any more um, uh, so I think, like, look, the clarity that was given yesterday evening is very much welcomed. And I think a lot of um, the pressure from students was the not knowing and the uncertainty. So I think now that they know, um, they're in a better place to move forward, um, all things considered. Very good. Can I ask you, and we've always tried since the very start of all of this, last year and then this year, to listen on the opinion line, and I'd say them to the voice of the student in terms of general coverage of this, do you think the voice of the student has been heard and amplified loudly enough? Well, I think the announcement um, and some of the manoeuvres that were done by other stakeholders is evident. I think that uh, student voice was listened to. Um, I think students are, you know, if anything, we're the generation of change. You know, if you look around, you look at the climate movement, and now you look at situations like this where, you know, 10, 20 years ago, students were never consulted on anything. Um, and now, like, look at this situation. Like I said, three weeks ago, not on the table. Today, it's out and students are going to get a choice. So I think that's evident enough. And there's been a lot of, there certainly has been a lot of students in the media, even students on with, you know, reps from other stakeholders and things like that. So I do think students have been vocal and I do think it's played a huge part um, in this. And of course, you know, we're the students' union. We are made up of students. We use everything that we got from students to advocate for students. And, um, yeah, I think we've had major impact um, in the decision. Well, you know what? Given that you're as happy as you seem to be this morning, there's an old phrase or an old um, saying in advocacy of any kind, nothing about us without us. (laughs) And, And indeed, the students have contributed to this. And I think, certainly, I'm delighted for you guys that that you've got something on front of you 
that you're happy with and happy to go with. Thank you for speaking to us this morning on the Opinion Line. Alicia O'Sullivan, Education Officer with the Irish Secondary Students Union. 1857-15996. We were saying for months here that the, the decisions were being made by too many people whose leaving cert was decades behind them. Decades behind them. And the, the, the decision needs to be made with the contribution of people who are supposed to be doing it this year or who just did it last year. Or in Alicia's case, she's a professional advocate with the union. She's their education officer. Those people. That's a, that's a win-win for the students this morning. And let us just hope that the teaching unions, and I've been an advocate of unions and I will always be an advocate of unions, Time now, lads, to just do it. Let's not have any more nonsense now from the teachers' unions. You had your day. You had your moment in the sun. Now let the students get on with it and do what they want. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Each week we bring you the latest news from our vibrant and creative communities all around Cork. Whether it's tips for the best live gigs online, new initiatives from Cork's writers and musicians, join Elmarie Mall and Connor Tallon as we work to support and keep the arts alive in Cork. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Fresh flowery and full of taste. It's at the root of what we do. On Quartz 96 FM. This is Quartz Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. Lots of stuff coming in in response to Dr. Jack Lambert who if you listened to Jack, and he's been on the show with me many, many times, he actually became slightly emotional this morning, uh, describing just how concerned he still is that we're not doing the right thing all the time, and and he's watching it in in his hospital. Uh, I think we should we will podcast extra that by the way very shortly. We'll have it available for you, and I'll return to all those comments a little bit later. But there was a particularly horrible sex case came to a conclusion yesterday now it came to a conclusion in County Waterford I think it was but it happened in West Cork just the way the courts are moving around at the moment it was the case of a 42 year old man Michael O'Regan from Assumption Place Clonakilty and it was in Clonmel I beg your pardon Clonmel Circuit Criminal Court he pleaded guilty to the exploitation of a child but as I say and just for, for small ears, just be wary. A particularly upsetting case. Barry Roach of the Irish Times. Barry, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? This was an upsetting case, wasn't it? Very distressing, very disturbing. Uh, really, as you say, a horrible, a horrible case. Uh, the background to it is this uh, chap called Michael O'Regan. He's from Assumption Place in Clannacilty, 42-year-old guy. He pleaded guilty at Clannacilty Criminal Court 
to the exploitation of a child on a date between Christmas Day 2016 and April 25th 2017 and it was contrary to Section 3 of the Child Trafficking and Pornography Act. Essentially what he did was he persuaded this girl and what makes it particularly distressing is that she's a girl with special needs. She's 14 years old or she was 14 years old at the time, girl with Down syndrome and he persuaded her to send him uh, an intimate photograph of her topless which she did. We heard about it from Detective Garda Michael Cusson, the former Cork footballer. Uh, he's based in Tipperary and he told the court that a man called to a guard station in Tipperary, County Tipperary, on April 25th, 17, reported that his 14-year-old daughter, who has, his, who has, as I say, Down syndrome, she'd been in contact with a number of men through an online site and had received and sent photos. The girl's father handed over a mobile phone and laptop to Gardaí. They began an investigation. They traced one of the mobile phone numbers, the one that was most regular contact with the girl, to Michael O'Regan from Clannacilty. Uh, the girl was interviewed by a child specialist guard interviewer. She told the interviewer that she'd sent this photograph of herself topless to O'Regan after he had requested her to do so. Gardy obtained a search warrant and Detective Garda, uh, James Keane in West Cork, their search to O'Regan's home. He handed over his mobile phone and his laptop and he came in later for a voluntary interview and he admitted he'd been in contact with the girl, had asked her to send the topless photograph of herself to him and he effectively confirmed everything she said as correct. So that was the background to it. Yesterday at Clonmel Circuit Criminal Court, the defence barrister, Suzanne Gorey, she pleaded for leniency for O'Regan, pointing out that he'd cooperated fully with Gardaí, had omitted the offence, mm. and I suppose importantly had spared the Gardaí, and most importantly of all, his victim, what could have been mm. a very challenging trial. He's I presently have, in jail, isn't he? He's currently in jail, yeah. Just come to that point, the background is that uh, this case, or this offence, happened in the midst of a spree of them, uh, he, and he was convicted of those in July uh, 2019 at Cork Circuit Criminal Court, where he'd made contact with uh, 24 girls uh, and again they were charged with sexual exploitation he had set up a fake uh, online uh, ID uh, pretended that he was under 18 and he'd engaged in sort of sexualised conversations with them he offered them inducements for sexualised phone calls on some occasions he threatened to post new pictures of them that they had sent him he threatened to post those online to engage in further sexual exploitation. That was the evidence from, uh, as I said, it's got a James Keane in West Cork back to Judge Sean O'Donovan in Cork Circuit Criminal Court in July 2019. Uh, he pleaded guilty to all those charges. There were uh, 24 injured parties aging, arranging an age, sorry, from six, sorry, 12 to 16. Most of them were Irish-based, but some were in the UK and some were in the, the US. He got six years with uh, four suspended for that so he's still uh, serving the remainder of that uh, so that was referenced yesterday in Clonmel uh, just to go back to his barrister she said that he twice he'd gone online initially she said in the hope of meeting someone his own age but instead found himself developing a sexual interest in girls of a younger age he went down this bad path as he described it and he wanted to address these deviant urges as he didn't want to have such feelings and desires she said he twice attempted suicide uh, to take his own life and as a result of one of these attempts where he he, he he jumped from something or fell he suffered injuries to his back and he now suffers from arthritis of the spine mm. as well as arthritis of the hands he has high blood pressure and diabetes O'Regan wrote a letter of apology to the court and she read that out in which he said he wasn't seeking to make excuses for his behaviour as he knew at all times 
that what he was doing in soliciting the images was wrong and he was genuinely remorseful. He explained in the letter that he had a lonely upbringing, had been subjected to bullying and assaults when in school and he later became quite depressed and was struggling to deal with what he said was a voice inside his head which repeatedly called into question his self-worth. Now she said, uh, Barrister Suzanne Gorey, that the court should remember that he had obtained just one image from the girl, he had no physical contact with her, he hadn't circulated or distributed the image to anyone else and in fact he deleted it from his laptop when he realised that the girl might have special needs. She said she wasn't seeking to minimise the injuries to the girl who was the clear victim in the case but she believed that O'Regan was a victim of his own demons and while he didn't believe he was a bad person he did accept that he had exploited a child and should be punished for it but she said there'd be no reoffending since that original batch of offences as it were back in the, yeah. the, the, the West Cork ones, which started in 15 and went to uh, October 17 and this temporary case fell smack dab in the middle of that sort of period Judge Owen Garvin he was the judge he accepted what uh, the barrister had said on behalf of O'Regan but he noted that a probation report on O'Regan found that while he expressed remorse for his action he lacked he, the probation service weren't convinced that he had any real insight into his offending yeah. or real empathy for his victim he made reference to Judge O'Donovan's sentence and he said Judge Dunvall was a very experienced judge and the fact that he had structured a sentence so that part of it would be suspended suggested that Judge Dunvall was of the view that O'Regan had some hope of being rehabilitated and he thought that was significant we'd heard that while he's in prison he's been going to see a psychologist he's due to meet a psychiatrist and he's due to start psychotherapy for his condition or his, uh, his offending his predilections uh, as it were um, the time is against me slightly Barry Sef- seven months that, um, yeah. he couldn't have found a more, Judge O'Regan or said Judge Garvin said O'Regan could hardly find a more vulnerable victim than a 14 year old girl with Down syndrome he was utterly exploited and cruel, cruelly said and he believed the sentence of seven months was appropriate and that's the run consecutive to the one he's serving from Cork and he's also put on the uh, sex offenders register The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM 1850-715-996 the number to call the text to whatsapp 083-396-9696 email opinion at 96fm.ie if you missed anything in the first hour of our program remind you that the podcast is available every afternoon early afternoon first place we put it is the link goes to twitter and then it goes on all our various platforms very quickly after that and indeed it turns up also on the 96FM phone app and you can catch up with that any time of the day or night whenever it takes your fancy a full replay of the show on podcast and uh, we will also put up a podcast extra of Dr Jack Lambert and our latest uh, conversation with Dr Lambert about where we are now with COVID-19 and even for a toughened doctor who has seen it all in terms of infectious diseases to hear Jack Lambert becoming slightly emotional this morning in the course of our phone call must be a message to us all that we cannot take our eyes off the ball here and we cannot be misled by idiots who who say ah sure protect the vulnerable and the rest of us will be fine if we take our eyes off this for a second we'll be back in pre pre-January we'll be back in mid-January in weeks and that's the clear message with regard to schools going back Mags thanks for your tweet saying that you've been following Niall Conroy on this as do we all Dr Niall Conroy based in Queensland where they've got this under control and have kept it under control with regard to schools being safer places and indeed they are Mags and many people have said that the World Health Organisation 
uh, Mike Ryan has a- a- acknowledged that schools themselves are safer places. The problem is not so much in the schools. We get that. The problem is the movement of people in and out to and from. That's the problem. If you put a million people back on the streets tomorrow with this British variant in our midst and it's so infectious and so dangerous, because it is very dangerous, you could have carnage again in a few weeks' time. How careful we have to be, we can't overstate it. And Dr. Lambert said to me, the numbers we had last summer, particularly, say, here in Cork and down in Kerry and in other parts of Munster, where we had 14-day totals of cases of, like, 15 cases. So at one stage, we had a 14-day total in Cork of two cases. That's where we have to be before we can get on with things. It was a very sobering conversation this morning with Dr. Lambert. 1857-15996. Bavine O'Connor is a little girl who passed away last year. And a beautiful story, a beautiful child uh, who, who just passed away from a terrible condition, terrible heart condition. And her folks are determined to do something permanent in her memory. And they've set up a charity called the Heart Angel. And Irene O'Connor is, is Bavine's mum. Irene, how are you doing? Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thanks so much for having us on the programme again. No, I'm delighted good. to do so. Is it, is, is it getting any easier? No. <laughs> Sorry. Um, like, it's horrendous. And I don't want to bring down the tone of the conversation because I know everyone's having a lot of trouble with COVID and everything, but losing Bavine on, on the 16th of September 2020 last year was obviously the worst day of our lives and it, it doesn't get um, any better or easier. It's just you, you learn to cope better. But the huge support, love and kindness that's been shown to us in the last five months is incredible. And um, I guess the reason we actually set up the Heart Angel Foundation was because I needed something to do. <laughs> I'd gone crazy. I, I, I'd probably still be in bed now with the bedclothes over me and not being able to get out of bed if I didn't have a focus and my focus is baby, and that'll be my focus for the rest of our life. I don't, I don't want it to be too painful, Irene, yeah. but can you just remind listeners again of, of what actually happened? Yeah, okay, so we were up in Crumlin Hospital, we were waiting, She's, she was a really healthy heart child. Um, like, she presented like a normal child, nobody would have known how serious her condition was. And we were waiting for her second open heart surgery in Crumlin, and she, she flew through it, she had her AV valve replaced, and... Um, the professor surgeon who undertook the operations contacted us and told us that she flew through, couldn't have, couldn't have done a better job if he tried. It was actually something that shouldn't have happened. It was a simple routine procedure, um, suctioning of her lungs. It, it really should not have happened. It was just a fluke, an accident, and it set her into cardiac arrest. And it took her them 45 minutes to, to get her back onto life support. And that was on the 11th of September um, following her operation. And we had, we had a horrendous five days until um, the 16th of September when they, they finally told us that um, she had, it wasn't her heart that had failed her. She'd received catastrophic um, brain injury due to the intensity of the um, CPR and they had to turn off the life support machine. And at the time when they told me that, I genuinely believed, okay, their idea might be different to mine, so what are we facing? Like, will she be maybe in a wheelchair? Or, and they were like, sorry, I really don't understand there's, there's nothing we can do and when we turn off the life support she'll pass and she passed 12 hours later at 14.07am in the morning in ICU Okay, 
And, and thank you for doing that because you know it's, it's uh, so painful for you. As a parent, I cannot comprehend your pain. And she's, she's our only child. Yeah. And she was hard goss. We, we were married since 2003 and Bavine came around in 2011 and the joy of her life. And she bought us the most joy and we are so privileged to be called her parents. So this, is, this actually is from Bavine. Everything that has happened, I firmly believe, um, Bavine's huge spirit is still with us and with her community and with all of us. And this is where the Heart Angel Foundation was set up because it was two days after she passed and her dad, Owen, who's amazing, amazing support to me. And we're both going through the same thing, but obviously he's the person at the moment holding me up because I, I am finding it very difficult. My life last year, I had my own business. I worked really hard in it and I, I loved it. I had Bavine, who I adored, and my life, I was busy from 7 a.m. in the morning to 11 p.m. at night, wouldn't sit down. And my goodness, I will never complain again if I'm busy because the two weeks after she died, I, wo- I realized I woke up every morning and I had nothing. I had no reason to get out of bed. And I think Bavine sent, sent me this. And obviously her dad helps because he's, he's lucky he's got his job. We're very lucky with that. But um, anything that he can do, he's excellent to help. So I have these big dreams and no one helps me um, to, to go forward with them. So it just came to me um, on the Sunday after she passed and we were at her grave. And I just was, I didn't know what we were going to do. And then it came and I said, oh, we have to do something for Bavine. And he agreed. So we came up with a plan to set up um, a website for her friends and her family in the community. And we had a very ambitious goal back then to raise €5,000 for Make-A-Wish because that's the price of a, of a good wish for a wish child. Yeah. And that's all we hoped to do. But it, we couldn't obviously celebrate Bavine's life in the way that we would in a funeral because of COVID. So what we did is we actually launched her um, foundation on the 16th of October and it snowballed. And within two months, we had 76,000 euro raised. Yeah. And what we did was a kindness challenge because Bavine was extremely kind. That was the biggest thing about Bavine. And all the letters that we received, every single parent that knew Bavine, they just said that their child had had gained something by knowing her. And we just got... I can't even describe how many letters and posts we got from I remember that, that yeah. it was about a little act of kindness and showing a little bit of kindness, but that's a colossal amount of money. Yeah, I think there was about 30 schools in Ireland that took part in the challenge. So basically it was, instead of having homework, which is another thing, it's all centred around baby and she couldn't understand why people got homework when they had to go to school all day. So it was really unfair. So we had a no homework day and the kids had to do um, a random act of kindness instead and donate two euro. And then that, that and with businesses that started to come on board and personal just people in their own lives that started doing acts of kindness and within two months they had the, the 76,000 raised which is incredible and then over Christmas we spoke um, I'm very lucky with my cousin he he let us use um, his summer home in West Cork which would have been my uncle Patty my granduncle's house so it was a really safe place for us and it was right next to Bavian's grave and it gave us two months or sorry two weeks to reflect on what we would do going forward and the most logical step for us was to set up a foundation now it's not fully set up we're mm. in the process of achieving charity status and that will take six, six to maybe nine months but yeah. in the meantime Everything with Vivian is snowballed. So seven months ago, if I actually heard myself on the radio discussing plans that are just at very, very embryo early stages, I would have gone, what am I doing? But I just have courage because Vivian, anything that 
seems to touch your baby and it just snowballs. She's um, minding her mammy, do you know? I know, I know. And thank God I'm up the walls busy. <laughs> I'm so lucky because these... I can't even I can't even start to name people because I'd be here all day. But the amount of people who've come on board to help us, it started with um, somebody approaching us. I'm going to mention her name because she's been an amazing oh, support. Yeah. Um, it's Jacinta McBride and Carrie Galine. And her little girl had this idea about pushing on this little show with her friends and the circus um, tent area and Carrie Galine. And it was just going to be a little show. And... Of course, her mum, Spencer McBride, got on board and there's a whole different force there. And within within no time, it snowballed to, to the point where, again, I don't want to name all of the people and the amazing, wonderful people and organisations and professional actors and, and everything that has come on board. But it's a major musical yeah. production in the oh, Opera wow. House with the Cork Symphony Orchestra. This, this script is amazing. Not giving away details, but this show really coincides with... Um, with, with what we want to do with the launch. So obviously, because of COVID, we have to be extremely um, careful. So there's yeah. going to be no audience whatsoever. It will be streamed. But every cloud is a silver lining because I'm hoping um, that a PR company came on board for two, two months before um, this musical is to take place in September. And I'm hoping to um, have it like streamed all over Ireland with, with the help of these amazing people who are helping us and totally organising everything first in this wonderful show that they're putting on for, for If you can get a YouTube link, don't yeah, limit yourself to Ireland. Working. I mean, they're working around the clock. These people who come on board are just yeah, staggering. It's, it's astounding how good they're being. So that, that will be the official launch in, in yes. September. And isn't it... I don't think it's an accident that it's around the time of her anniversary. No, it's... it's it, like, I, I, I need another show to explain the signs that we have received from Bavine and this lady Jacinta McBride who's, who's helping with the Cardline Musical Society, she's, she's seen the signs, strangers who are helping us have received signs and everyone now I think believes that Bavine is backing the force of all this because it's just, it, it's coincide with her anniversary and also with the launch because that's when we were hoped to officially launch it's also Heart Week and um, people wear red for, for people who passed with congenital heart defect or any heart disease so it's, it's really tying in at a really great time um, so that's what I said for her show. It just it came to us. This amazing lady came to us, and um, it's just snowballed out of control. But then, what happened was um, obviously the, I have many ideas of, of fundraisers going forward, and it will always be under the umbrella of the Heart Angels. So, all of the money that will be raised, I'm hoping through the Acts of Kindness Challenge, the No Homework Challenge, which will be taking place the 29th of September to the. 29th November, um, we're going to be um, contacting every primary school in Ireland to take part. As I said, 30 schools have taken part this year, and I'm hoping that going forward, each school in Ireland will, will take part and raise the money within their school. Um, we also have a Silly Jumper Day for the, the secondary schools with a couple <laughs> of schools taking part, but we hope to roll that out throughout Ireland too. And of course, businesses within communities. So, for example, to give you an idea, Maxwell Garage and Carrigaline. They, that business just they raised four thousand. <laughs> this guy Colin, uh, incredible. Um, a little Einstein's preschool. I'm I'm so terrified to start naming because if okay, I, I understand that, and I'm and sorry. I know no, no, you're you're fine, and you probably would be still here at ten I past would. twelve to name everybody because I I know how many people have piled in to try to help and and been so taken by by Bavine's story and so taken by your bravery and Owen's bravery in telling that story that they literally want to do everything they can, not just for you, but for her memory and for what 
you may be able to achieve. And I'll tell you this much, Irene, you know, no matter what you need, you pick up the phone and you call me. Thank you. That's amazing. Because I would, if you don't mind, like to explain about the foundation. Go ahead, um, yeah. If that's okay. Uh, again, um, I am terrified and apologise in advance if I <laughs> offend anyone by this, but um, what happened was I, I have various different ideas for fundraising. So obviously um, the act of kindness is one. With the, and I, I want really easy ideas. And when we receive charity status, I have many more ideas to come. So we'll have a Heart Angel Day on the 20th of January. I'm, I have ideas for summer projects that can be taken very easily within communities. It's a very ambitious pro- program that I have. But once again... Um, I was like, what am I going to do with this money that's raised? Because I wanted to do all within within Bayveen. So kindness, she loved art, she loved helping people. And once again, it landed in my lap, just like the show, this amazing lady called Mary Murphy, who's part of the Ownerbury Arts Collective in Carrigaline. She approached us, um, and it's a very small um, bit of, of what they do overall, but there's a, a small section of... Um, of their organisation that they, they would like and to, to call the Heart Angels. So we ended up speaking and um, she gave me her ideas. So they, their mission statement really is developing a range of programmes aimed to reach the vulnerable members within each individual community to create a positive impact and to spread kindness and positive messages. So obviously within this COVID that we're all living, mm. I feel um, that this, this project they put together, as I said, it's it's, very, it's in the very early stages. All details are being worked out. So I'm going to go off on my tangent now, and I apologise to Mary if, if, I, if I say anything wrong. But what I envision this um, or thing that they want to do would be very coincide with what I would like the funds of the Heart Angel Challenge to, to be used in. So all money raised um, in this go- is going back to the community. It's a completely non-for-profit um, charity that we're, we're setting up. And what do you want to spend it on? So it's very ambitious, big plans and dreams. This is what I would love, but obviously I have, we haven't been able to meet face-to-face formally. This is all over Zoom. But what I would like, if possible, to do is that it would be an umbrella organisation. So we're going to start with Carrigaline, which would be Bayveen's main town where she went to school and where we have had so much support. It's going to be template rolled out just in Carrigaline for 2021 to 2022. The rest of the schools in Ireland, um, we're going to pick three children's charities and they can donate the money direct to the charities of their choice for the kindness day. But with the money raised, it will always go into the community. So next, on the 21st, 2021 September, we're going to start with projects within the community. So the idea came because um, in Bavian's class, the, the children obviously were, were very shocked and gr- with grief and it was very difficult for them. And of course, it was all members of the society are vulnerable now. So I don't think there's just like us, we were special needs parents, we had congenital heart defect, we were vulnerable in that particular sector. And there's loads of different sectors like autism. But the Heart Angel is aimed at helping all children yeah. in, within the society and young adults and to a lesser extent adults. But we're hoping through art therapy and um, different projects that we can create a community development spirit. Now there is wonderful companies that are already doing this and we're not we don't stand on anyone's toes in relation to inclusivity for art etc. This is solely community based and it's to bring us back to the old days. So when I was younger I remember having like festivals in the community or like the community spirit or sports days mm-hmm. or there was a lot more I think 
um, coming together for simple things. So, like some of our um, ideas is that all of the schools, the primary schools, secondary schools and businesses within Carrigaline will donate all of the money into this umbrella section with the Heart Angel Foundation. And then these funds will be... um, used to help the projects which we wish to create. So okay. this is, as I said, very early stages. These are two projects I would love, if possible, to do. And um, we, we have approached Michael Murphy um, from Carrigaline Community School and Tara from um, Edmund Rice, and, and they, they would they express their interest in perhaps coming on board. We will be approaching the primary schools too. And one of the ideas was for transition students that we would give them, for example, a budget and they would spend the year creating a community project to, to improve the community, whether okay. that's a little garden or if they come up with the idea and it's all to improve and make our village and community nice. But they have to work together. Okay. They have to form a committee. So it'll be like teaching them about organising projects. They will be um, with, with our guidance and help um, asked to approach different people within the community to see if they'd like to help with their project. And in return, there will be an unveiling at the end of for example, fourth year that they're doing, where they will receive a Heart Angel certificate and where um, the community will see the work that they've done. So it could be like a little garden in the park or something to do with sensory, something in the area that they will create. And what we hope as well is that it will give pride to these children and these young people coming up that they'll have done something in the community. They, they'll want to make it beautiful, that they, you know, they, they don't have anything to do now. It's COVID. Okay. And I think the children of our society is, you know, is struggling so much with COVID. They have a whole year. And in a child's life, a week's a long time, so a year is so difficult. So we're hoping when we get to the end of this that this will be a really positive thing for, for mental health, for all children. We'll speak to see each individual town is going to have different needs. So the needs of Carrigaline is going to be completely different to Balancolic. Okay. And what we hope to do is a template and give ideas to other communities um, in Cork are starting small and then hopefully maybe over the coming years it might spread around Ireland. Oh, I have no doubt but that it will with, with, with the enthusiasm and the energy yeah. you're putting into it and, as education. Another, one of the projects I'm thinking about is we have a, a little kind of wooded area in Carrigaline called the Witch's Garden. I know it. And I'd love for, so Bevine, when before she passed um, in our woods here in Riverstick, we live here now in the last three years and, and we want to help this community too. But we're starting obviously. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
and Bevin put up a little sign saying, um, I am Tixie Bell, the fairy of the forest. I'm really lonely because of lockdown. Will you all put up fairy doors so my friends can move in? And next thing, within months, there was fairy doors all over the forest. Children were just co- going home doing this little project. And, and then she did, she did stones, so she painted positive messages on stones to help people through lockdown. So I would love to do a little angel garden um, okay. in the witches' garden where we would actually facilitate children um, to make these doors and to do therapy maybe within so play therapy children learn to play and the children especially that's been affected by Vivian's passing I would like that project to be one of the projects where we create a beautiful angel garden and again when these children grow up and they're teenagers and they're running around Carrigaline maybe with nothing to do they're going to have pride in their community so they're going to keep enhancing the community and have something to do rather than hanging around and, and not having a purpose. So we, the whole thing is to create positivity, to spread kindness, to do good messages, to get children, young people, and even adults. Like I think one of the projects that um, the Unibri Arts Collective had come up with was for um, children in autism that there would be workshops to create toys and waste blankets for, for this, and the parents could meet within this collective. They had this little... Um, cafe that they're hoping to do that parents can get support from each other and it can be a place for for them to meet so it's all community based every penny that's raised in the community will stay in the community and we are very open to people approaching us with their ideas um as well and that we can consider them would it would sorry no you're all right you're all right what we're going to do is we've shared everything uh, on our twitter and uh, we've shared all the details of the website. There's a Facebook page as well. Uh, it's www.heartangel.com is, is the website. Yeah. And what we're going to do is anytime you need us for anything, Irene, you just pick up it that phone and we'll be there. Because we are looking for, um, I think, a killing at the moment. Um, and I'm not doing any major fundraising. You're looking for a what? A killing. If any business for, is interested. For, for cook and pottery? Yeah, they're going to do ceramics and pottery and art therapy. It's not just art. There's, like, there's actually 24 artists on board at the moment who are, some of them are interested in giving their time for, you know, to help within Brilliant. this project and with all the different ideas that Mary and these lovely artists have. So there's, it's not just art. Um, I'm concentrating on that because Babine loved, loved actual art painting and stuff, but it's, it's all areas. Um, so we, if any business is interested and would like to fund maybe a killing or to, to fund something towards okay. the killing, that would be great or, uh, or whatever they might be interested in. You never know, it, it, it might just happen. Irene, we will talk again, I Thank promise you. you that from today. We will talk again. Uh, if there's anything you ever need, you just let us know because I, I, I think you're about to embark on a journey that you don't even know how big it is. I, I hope so because this is what I plan to do for the rest of my life to spread kindness and make sure that I'd love if everyone in Ireland knew about my bee. Okay. Well, you know what? You're doing a fine job. Thank you. And Thank she'll you be so very, much. very proud of her mammy. Uh, and daddy, he's actually involved a lot too. Good for <laughs> he works a lot during the day, but he, he's anytime he's free, he's constantly 100% right. on board. And I have the dreams and he makes them come true. So That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. All right. Thank listen, you to listen. everyone who Irene. helped us. Take care of yourself. Thank all right. you, PJ. Mind yourself. Thanks uh, for everyone. Not the tons of the time. It'll all be... It's all going to be great. It's going to be a huge foundation in memory of and as a mark of this wonderful little girl who I never met, but just talking to her mom about her. She sounds like she was incredible. And Mags, I think, Mags, you knew her. Uh, such a beautiful little girl with two amazing parents really proud of both of them the heartangel.com is the website 
if you want to read more about that particular story. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Take today's Throwback Thursday quiz. Also, want to make you a winner, all you got to do is get saucy. Join me from midday on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 On Cork's 96FM. We've got uh, some responses still coming in to Dr. Jack Lambert from earlier on, and people talking or asking questions about the quarantine situation and how long it's all going to be and, and all of that. I will get to them. I will get to them, but we're we're really busy this morning. Uh, this story is going a small bit viral on Facebook. Uh, we've contacted the source, uh, the, uh, not inclined to come on the air at the moment, but here is the story. Um, and just for matters of confidentiality, we have taken the exact geographical details out of it, but I think you'll get the, the gist of it anyway. Last year, when the pandemic began... My recently widowed mom left her home to come live with me so she could cocoon. All was going well until we'd been trying to get her the vaccine. She could get it in her hometown, but she'd have to be making the trip up and down in one day and it would be difficult to protect her from contact. She's nearly 90. She just won't be able to do that. The local medical centre here say they can't give my mom the vaccine that she'll have to go back to her hometown. My sister did explain to them why that wasn't possible or wasn't safe, but still, it's no go. We've been on to the HSE several times and have got nowhere with them either. We're at a total loss what to do and can't think where else to turn. I'm assuming from that that Mum's GP is still back in her hometown and she's still registered with the GP practice back in her hometown. And it's through the GP practices that the vaccine program is being rolled out. So that might explain it. But a difficult situation, a very long round trip to get a vaccine when there's a medical centre down around the corner where she could get it. I also heard another one over the weekend where a woman, or just early this week, a woman of 91, uh, in pretty good health now, but in 91, she has been called by her local GP practice to go for a vaccine. She lives in a, shall we say, a satellite town of Cork. She's been called to go for her vaccine. She's ecstatic. Her daughter will drive her there, but not to her local GP practice, not to her local medical centre. She's got to go out to CIT, which is about 45 minutes to an hour away from her. Now, she's lucky she's got a daughter who can pick her up and take her there. But at nearly 91 years old, what? how else would she get there if she didn't have someone to take her? So that's, that's the problem with these regional vaccine centres. That some people are quite a distance away from them. And take a look north of the river. Our three vaccine centres are going to be on the south side of Cork City. None on the north side. And you can see why people on the north side are aggrieved about it. Cork. 
Our knowledge of autism has changed dramatically over the years, even since autism came into our lives in, in Coogan Towers, and that's 20 years ago now, are the bones of it, when our boy was diagnosed. The change from what we know th- knew then to what we know now, how we treat and therapy then and what we do now has all changed very much and back in those days it was very much thought that it was a disease of men and boys it was very rare in girls and women and that it was almost unheard of to be diagnosed in adulthood now not only have many many people been diagnosed in adulthood one of them being a very good friend of mine and it saved his life that he got that diagnosis because he had no idea what was wrong with him. But now more and more women are being diagnosed with autism in their 30s, 40s. And one of those is a doctor, Dr. Cathy Darcy, who we've spoken to many times over the years on the opinion line. Cathy, you're speaking up right now and congratulations on doing so. When when were you diagnosed? Good morning. Hi, PJ, and thanks for having me on again. Um, I was diagnosed in late 2019, and I had just completed uh, a PhD in creative writing. So as you said, I'm I'm a qualified doctor, but I haven't practiced for a long time. And I suppose one of the reasons for that is that I wasn't aware that I was autistic when I was training and qualifying as a doctor. But anyway, I went on, still undiagnosed, and completed possibly the most unsuitable qualification uh, available for someone with undiagnosed autism. Um, a PhD, and it was just after I graduated from that that I was diagnosed. What convinced you that you needed to get something like that checked out? Well, as you described with your friends, I, I've had difficulties all my life. Um, and like I've written about this on social media saying it felt like I was behind a screen. It felt like I was on stage, but I didn't know my lines all the time. And I suppose I, I just thought that there was something wrong with me or that I was kind of stupid even though I was getting good marks in school and it didn't it's been it's been it's been the project of my whole life it's been the thing I've devoted the most time to and the most thought to and the most reading to is trying to figure out why my brain isn't working like uh, the brains of the people around me seem to be Um, but eventually a close friend who had um, a sister an autistic sister uh, said to me that there were traits that they recognised and maybe that I should get um, checked out or that I should speak to somebody and and so I did that. Right. And did you go to a clinic or did you go to a a consultant? Who did you go to? You don't need to Yeah, I went to a... No, I know. I I went to a private consultant because as you're probably aware and I'm sure you are aware the services for autistic adults that are available through the HSE are, you know, non-existent, I suppose, for the most part. Um, And also... It would be my experience now, though, of course, I'm not speaking as an expert on autism, I'm speaking as an autistic person, um, that a lot of the ideas that the HSC would bring to assessment and diagnosis are still very outdated compared to the new research that you mentioned on autism and girls. So anyway, um, I looked at voluntary organisations like As I Am, who provide a lot of support to people um, and you don't have to have a diagnosis to, to speak to As I Am. And through them, was put in touch with various people and 
kind of websites and stuff where people had been listing uh, places to go for private assessments. And so I found someone through that. Excellent, excellent. And as I am, of course, led by Adam Harris, who we've spoken to many, many times on the programme. So when you finally got someone to sit in front of you and said, Cathy, you're autistic. By the way, can I ask a question? Do you prefer the term, Cathy, you have autism, or Cathy, you're autistic? Which do you prefer? I prefer you're autistic because I, I agree with the... Um, the kind of people who say that, look, it, it's who I am. And if I wasn't autistic, I wouldn't be Cathy. Gotcha. Uh, but I also understand that there are people who prefer to say I have autism. And, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't ever tell someone how to sure. describe. No, that's, that's why I asked you, because that's another thing we've Thank learned you. in the last number of years, that some people like it described. Others one way and some yes. people like it described the other and nothing about us without us. So therefore, I would it's always it. ask. Um, and as you know, like everyone with autism is completely different individuals. Oh, yeah. Well, connect. you know that saying, don't you? You've met I one of his person. Talk to me about the questions that he'd answered in your mind when someone said to you, yeah, Cathy, you're autistic. Oh, like, I remember being very calm all through the assessment and then starting to cry when he said to me, you've been missed because, as, as I've written, it was such a relief to know that look, my brain just doesn't work the same as everybody else, but that doesn't mean I'm stupid or I'm broken or I'm sick or any of those things. It actually just means that I can take time now um, to figure out what does work for my brain. And, you know, it's not just about things that don't work. I'm, there are things that work really well for me. I just have never had the opportunity to, to take time and figure out what those are instead of kind of trying to force myself to do things the way everybody else does them. Um, so things like... Um, I've always felt the need to make friends and to be social and to do small talk and to go to social events, you know, and I'd be a broken person if I didn't do those things. But the relief of knowing that I don't have to make small talk with people and that I don't have to constantly try to be social and that I have permission to just be by myself is, is, it's really something. And then as well as I've written, um, Every job I've ever done has been an intensely social job, like from medicine to uh, social care to teaching creative writing and even being a performance poet, which I will still do. Mm. But just to figure out the ways of doing them instead of kind of constantly being exhausted and eviscerated because I forced myself to, to be too social all the time is it's both a relief and a kind of a, a grief, mm. I suppose. You, you mentioned that you don't practice as, as a doctor anymore. Mm-hmm. Would you ever reconsider that now that you know why you you mm. you are different and and you understand your difference and you can because you know you you were a fairly decent doctor in your time from what we know. That's very nice. <laughs> Thank you. You were very but I, you were very popular. Anyone who ever heard you talking on the program, we always <laughs> had kind comments about you as a doctor. That's very nice. I didn't practice for very long actually. Like I left very soon after qualifying. Um, and and I loved like I would think now like that medicine and anatomy and disease processes are actually an autistic special interest of mine because from when I was a very small child, I was and remain obsessed by those processes. Yeah. So yeah, like I left medicine for a lot of reasons, uh, but one of them kind of has now been I suppose explained to a certain extent. Yeah. And I've also found an amazing group called Autistic Doctors Ireland. Yeah, and. To, to meet so many people who are so kind of like me <clears throat> in their career choices. There's a lot of and them there, from something. what we hear. Yes, yes, it appears that there are. Yeah. yeah. So, so this new knowledge and this new understanding of yourself, 
Let's focus for a minute, though, on, on the fact that, as I said in, in the introduction, we always thought it was something that happened only to boys and men. But in the last yeah. number of years, uh, an increasing number of women have been diagnosed. I spoke to a wonderful woman called Eveline Welton uh, down, in West, down in West Cork who told me about her own experience and about how it explained so much for her when she got diagnosed. Yeah, Evelyn is fantastic. I, I, I found out about her fairly soon after diagnosis and I've attended a conference that she did. Yeah. Um, and she, I think she's so great to like not only be working through her own diagnosis, but she's out there trying to help other people and trying to bring people together. Yeah. Um, I've, I've looked into this a lot since I got diagnosed and I, I suppose you know yourself, uh, one of the things or one of the theories about why this has happened is that, first of all, the kind of early um, experts on autism studies boys kind of exclusively. And so all the writing on autism and how autism presents was, was based on work that had been done exclusively on boys. Yeah. And then if you look beyond that, so maybe why that was, it looks like culturally, um, and, and you know this, like girls are socialized to comply and to code switch and to copy the people around them and to not kind of not make waves. Uh, they would be more likely to, I suppose, turn their anger in on themselves than to express it through acting out. There's so all of that kind of makes for camouflaging. Like they're, they're more, they're more, they're more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? They're more molded to mask, which is a big thing. Yes. You put on this yeah, big smile, yeah. you go in there, you are tearing yourself apart inside, mm-hmm. but you're there doing what you're supposed to do. And girls do more of that. They're conditioned to do it. Yes, which is really where my uh, my autism and my feminism intersect, you know, because <laughs> those are not... I was wondering yeah. when we get to that. <laughs> no, I'm really not going to shoehorn too much feminism into this review. Okay. But it's, it's true that those are, like, it's, it's not acceptable that we socialise girls like that. I mean, there are problems with the way we socialise boys and girls and the way we gender children uh, that are wider than all of this. But it's certainly true that if socialising girls to comply makes it easier for them to shut themselves up and to just go along with things... And like I've, I've written about this as a result of that autistic girls and women are far more likely to be sexually exploited than the general population. Oh, really? So, yeah, I don't. Yeah, yes, there's there's evidence about that now. And like I can I can see that from my own perspective, because as an autistic girl growing up, you know, I was very good at camouflaging. I still am and very good at mimicking those around me. And a kind of rule I had was, look, if everyone else thinks that what's happening is OK, then I must be wrong. And you can see how that would put you into quite a dangerous situation when people are acting like everything is fine. And you're like, well, my rule is that if everyone's acting like things are fine, then obviously my perceptions are faulty. There's a a trait in some autistic people where they walk into the room and they lamp the room, they scan the four corners of the room and their process tells them how to behave in the room. It's fascinating science, but it can't be comfortable. No, it's exhausting. And this is like when you think about making small talk, that's, that's exactly what I do. And that's exactly my experience walking into any social situation is like scanning, scanning, scanning. I feel a bit like the Terminator now that I know what's happening. Yeah. Like I have my, you know, my magic glasses on and all this information is flashing in front of my eyes. Um, but of course, it's exhausting. Every Everyone you interact with, you're kind of constantly going through infinity responses in your head to try to figure out what the right thing is to say. But by the same token, now that I'm investigating not just my limitations, but my strength, my God, yes. I'm, I'm really, really good at this. So oh, yeah. if I can figure out ways to, ways to use that in, in a job situation, I think I'll be flying. 
don't ever try and lie to an autistic person. You won't get away with it. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> They'll remember everything you ever said. And again, I'm journalising, but you know we're having yeah, a bit yeah, fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, since you got the diagnosis in, in 2019, life, I think life is better, is it, Cathy? It is. Like, as I say, it's, it's a grieving for the past, but my life today is so much better. It sounds like an exaggeration, but it isn't to say that I'm experiencing peace for the first time in my life. Explore um, that a little bit. So... I didn't realize that I wasn't experiencing peace uh, until I experienced this, if you can imagine that. Like, um, that my whole life has been just, I've been so anxious all the time. And you know yourself, anxiety goes hand in hand with autism in a lot of cases, but also this constant terror about what's going to happen. I'm in social situations and I don't understand what's going on. And kind of also not knowing that that's okay. It's okay to feel anxious in this situation because it doesn't suit you. So you just are constantly going, What's wrong with me? I don't like, as I say, like being on the stage without having the lines all the time. It's really exhausting. It's really terrifying. So to be just to be able to say, look, your brain works differently. And that's actually okay. It's not worse. It's just about figuring out what works for you. And so when I can say to people things like, you know what? Yeah, my brain is full. So I'm going now or I have to leave this conversation or this this mode of conversation doesn't suit me or I can't go to that meeting. Uh, I'm autistic and I have difficulty with the following things. Just the relief, I suppose, inside me of knowing that I have said that and that mm. I can be myself and that I can tell people what does and doesn't work for me. The sense of safety is huge. How important is it to you to be able to do that in the same way as someone might be invited to a meeting and they say, look, I, I can't go because my my arthritis is killing me at the moment. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll, I'll join you on the phone or I'll, something like that. If you can, can, For you to say, look, I'm, I'm having a tough day with my autism. I'd rather not do mm-hmm. that. Is, is that important to you? That's actually a really good analogy because I suppose that highlights acceptance issues. And if I said to someone, I've sprained my ankle and I can't come to work, they'd be like, that's no problem, of course. But it's it's still, I suppose, a contested issue saying to people, I, I, I'm autistic, so this, this kind of meeting doesn't suit me, so I won't be coming, or I'll be, as you say, I'll be phoning in, or something I find, I mean, obviously it's great for me now that I don't have to go to any meetings with anybody. Yeah. Um, and I manage Zoom by knitting. I find knitting very calming, so I'm always knitting in meetings, and I'm always saying, I say to people, start, if you're distracted by my knitting needles, I, I'm autistic and this is, how come I'm in the meeting? I can be in the meeting. I can, stay in the, I can stay in the meeting while I have my knitting needles. Yeah. That's, I never heard uh, of that. If, that's brilliant. If you don't want me knitting, then I won't be in the meeting and that's the end of it. <laughs> Cathy, it's lovely to talk to you and I'm so happy for the change in your life because, as I say, if, a lot of people that I know now at this stage have had that diagnosis at certain parts in their life and it has changed their life in so many ways. It's true. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. I have a bunch of comments to get through held over from the last couple of hours because we've been busy this morning. A lot of good people to talk to. Uh, yes, believe it or not, someone called for their vaccine appointment of course excited about it and thrilled to be getting it and then they get contacted to be told uh, sorry we don't actually have your injection in stock this morning that can't start happening because if that starts happening it'll cause even more problems but we'll get to that in a while 1850-715-996 the number the text to whatsapp 083 396 the email 
opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in our first couple of hours, then you can pick the podcast up in the afternoon. We'll put the link up on Twitter once it's ready and then it goes very quickly to all of the platforms. If you're on a particular platform for podcasts and you just subscribe, it'll get updated for you every day. And of course, it also goes onto the podcast section of the Cork's 96mm app and indeed it's updated automatically there every day as well. And it's free into the bargain. Councillor John Maher was listening to Cathy Darcy. Brilliant. Uh, a fresh uh, breath of fresh air. And indeed, great talking to her. On hand sanitizer. A few of these coming in. Uh, caller said he heard me saying some places have no sanitizer when you go in. Uh, he says he carries a tube in his pocket his wife has one in her handbag. It'd be good if people had their own with them, just in case some places don't have any. And that's true. And a year ago, caller, that was really important. I carried some everywhere. But you would think that a year into this pandemic, when hand sanitizer is part of our everyday lives, that public buildings at least should have plenty of it. On the court case we discussed with with um, Barry Roach where the guy got seven months extra absolute joke says Rory that he only got seven months he should have got a couple more years for trying to exploit a child with special needs maggot doesn't deserve the light of day on restrictions and I'll play that clip of Luke O'Neill with regard to holidays we were Rachel says at this stage I feel anyone caught breaking rules should be fined substantially and then put on a database and shouldn't get treatment if they get uh, if they get COVID. Harsh but fair, I think. Enough is enough. My four children, two are college going, haven't seen any friends in a whole year. I'm now so worried about them, but I'm so proud of them. Secondary, fifth years should also be considered this year with leaving cert decisions. Enough is enough. Zero tolerance will get us to zero COVID, says Rachel. There's more there, but I want to go to... Uh, Wyon Stansfield down at Pinocchio Toys who tweeted this morning is it your mom or who is it that that mm-hmm. had the appointment Wyon morning PJ and um, both parents um, okay. my dad is my dad is 91 and my mother is 86 okay um so um from what i get now it it was with the gp so i presume that the gp had been told um that he would have vaccines by today okay. um it was done online which i personally think is a bit daft for I mean, my my mother is, well, relatively speaking, for an 86-year-old, she's quite tech-savvy, but my dad is <laughs> not. I think that'd be the simple way of putting it. But they were, bo- um, were they both booked for today? They were Both booked for today. Okay. And then what happened so, this morning? And, and this morning, they arrived for the appointment, and they were told, no, sorry, it's been postponed for two weeks. Um, no vaccine available. Um no, I mean, obviously, they were deeply disappointed by that. They were sent an email, I think, by the GP. Um, but, you know, my mother gets loads of junk. And, and obviously, at 86, she doesn't check her emails every day. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can't quite understand why, you know, why a phone appointment couldn't be made. But I'm not going to diss the GP for that because, you know, I assume they are. They, I know that the GPs are run off their feet with people phoning and asking and phoning and asking. You know, so I, I understand that they've they've got pressures at the yeah. moment that, you know, this is not a normal world. Yeah. But I mean, it's just deeply disappointing. I mean, my parents, um, they'll be married 60 years um, in April. You know, they were hoping that they would have had a couple of the two jabs. Some of their friends would have had two jabs and they might actually have a chance of sitting down with some of the friends who are still with us. 
yeah. you know, and, and celebrating. But more the disappointment of making the appointment, thinking, yes, the hope is there. And, and were there. they excited about it? Well, wow. Oh, thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. You know, I mean, they've been, I mean, it was, it was only made on Monday. So it's not like it was, you know, it's not like there's been, it's not like the GP made this appointment weeks ago. I mean, they were told, they were obviously informed that they were going to get vaccine. And then they started taking appointments for the people on the registers who were over that age, in that age group. You know, it, it seems, I don't know. It's disappointing. In the, uh, it's disappointing. And, and the, it's the last thing you want to start happening because if, it starts, if that starts happening wholesale, it'll throw a real it spanner destroys in the world. the kind of, yes, it, 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 you, you don't want that happening. I mean, it's very disappointing for them. I mean, it's very disappointing for us, to be honest, as well, because obviously, I mean, for me, I, I've been looking forward to the fact that my parents would, at least I could go, okay, my parents are okay. They're fine. You know, because I mean, I do, personally, I do think that their age group are the ones that this is, I mean, despite what everyone says, their age groups are the ones that this is probably the worst for yeah. because their time is limited. You know, the average 15-year-old, he's got another 60 years of his life, 70 years of his life to go. Yeah. He'll, he'll get over but, yeah. but their age group, you know, they, they've got finite time with their grandchildren. Every week, every day is precious. Time. Yes, yeah. every day is precious. Yeah. You know, and it, it's, it's, yeah, I, I, I personally, I feel more, I feel a lot of sympathy for the older people because I do think that, that is, that's it. Every day is precious. Yeah. Okay, well, that was very disappointing for them and I hope that they will get their appointment. And you know I what? I hope so. If they get an appointment in two weeks' time, that'll be what, the uh, 4th or 5th of March, I would suspect. And yeah. they, they want to have their anniversary in April. I think yeah, if they, they got their jab, yeah, they might just scrape through. They're certain their first jab would certainly be very active and they'd yeah, be a lot safer you know, after after yeah. that, why on before I let you go, uh, because yeah. of course you you have a business closed and shuttered at the moment, and have had for many weeks now. Um, it it must be a difficult position to be in, knowing that we've got to do this carefully and do it right, and yet your business is closed and 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 you're struggling. Yeah, I have to say it is. I I find. There's a part of me that is happy that at the moment they were closed because I think it is the right thing to do um, in the short term. And to be honest, in, in retail, January and February are the worst two months of the year. Um, and, you know, and we're doing a little bit online. No, we're not. We're, we're probably half of what we would normally be in January and February. But nevertheless, we, we are, you know, unlike a restaurant, we are actually doing something. Mm. But I, I do find, I mean, it is more of a struggle this time around. I, yeah. I find um, in in every way, personally, it's I, I hard to be positive, isn't it? When you look at it's your, it's hard your, to be positive. Yeah. You know, you you know, we were looking at um, a couple of weeks ago. We were looking at the fact that yes, we should be reopened by the the fifth of March. Mm. Um, you know, and you're thinking this is great, this is great, fifth of March, and all of a sudden, no, it's not. And I I do appreciate that it is. You know, I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't like to be sitting in in charge of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's easy for us all to stand sitting here on the fence and go, well, you should be doing that. Oh, you should be doing that. But we don't have all the info. You know, we don't, we don't, you know, it's changing so rapidly all the time. And Cork is very good. I mean, I, I personally, I think they're going to have to start um, regionalizing it. Yeah, regionalizing it. Which is what? So, um, and I was only thinking about him last night because there's a thing on Twitter now where people are looking at the daily local numbers and Cork and Kerry are actually, yeah. they're doing a great job between them. I mmean, Kerry had no cases yesterday, and Cork and Kerry now have two of the lowest incidences yeah. in the country. 
Anthony Staines was talking on this programme six months ago, Professor Staines, about regional opening. I, I think it has to be regional because, I mean, like, you know, that is the way to start it and to start it safely, you know, to allow... It's what they did in Australia. Yes. And, and if it comes back, I mean, if you get, you know, if you suddenly get, you know, 10 new cases in Cork or whatever it is, you go, that's it, closed for two weeks, you know, I, I, and, and give people a chance. I mean, you know, I mean, for every for mentally, for business, because, I mean, I, I mean, I... Hand on heart, if, if we hadn't been allowed to be open at Christmas, we would not have survived. Yeah. And I sincerely doubt we're the only ones who, were, who would be thinking that. I mean, there is no way without, without the business pre-Christmas that I would be standing here still owning a shop. Yeah, yeah, that's the other side of it too. You have you to know. think of it that way too. So you wow. have to think, you have to look yeah. like it's tough. It's tough old times and it's, it's hard to be yeah, positive. We have to try to grab whatever positivity that we have, yeah. you know. But listen, I wish your parents well. Thank you, Pete. And here's hoping that the next time they get called, they'll actually get their jab. Thank you, Boyan. 1857 86 and 91. Got a call on Monday, or got an email on Monday to say your vaccines will be there for you Wednesday, and then called this morning to say, uh, sorry, it hasn't arrived. That cannot be allowed to become a regular thing. It, it just can't. On Dr. Lambert, uh, who was with me earlier on, we were told at the start of the pandemic to be cleaning all deliveries. Then we got the great news that we didn't need to do it. Now this morning, Jack Lambert said we should be doing it. This is scaring the shite out of people. We'd like to know for sure now if we need to be cleaning our shopping and our deliveries. The simple answer to that is, caller, the science changes. The behaviour of the virus changes. And Jack Lambert is one of the best in the business at infectious diseases. It's what he does. And if Jack Lambert is cleaning, is cleaning his shopping, or if Jack Lambert is cleaning his post, and possibly the rest of us should think about doing it too, just to be safe. Just to be safe. Get a box of Dettol wipes, big box of Dettol wipes, and when you bring home some shopping, wipe down the surfaces. Clean the bags. Probably take a bit of time, but that's what you... And when you're going into the supermarket, get the cleaner stuff and get a bit of molly roll, clean the handle of the trolley. And when you're going around the store, don't be picking up five or six different loaves of bread before you choose the one you like. Do you know? That kind of thing. I'm a distraught mother. It's on the phone. The quarantine in hotels that's coming in, they're not saying how long it will last for. Well, it'll be 14 days. Oh, you mean for how long... It'll be in place. Well, it'll be in place until it's not needed anymore. My 28-year-old daughter's in Abu Dhabi and is saving to come home for a holiday. Her dad will be 70 at the end of March. In Abu Dhabi, the COVID cases are coming down, but in July, they're rocketing. There should be leniency for Irish citizens who want to come home to see their families. My daughter went to Abu Dhabi to make a living. She's struggling now, saying to her mammy she'll never see her again. I'd like to clarify on how long they envisage hotel quarantine will last for. Well, hotel quarantine caller will be 14 days from uh, any country that's on the list. And no, there won't be any exceptions. And here's the bit, nor should there, unfortunately. And anybody coming to us that we've been talking to from Australia, from New Zealand, from anywhere else that there is quarantine. In Australia, there are no exceptions. You've got to do it. In New Zealand... 
they al- they allowed an exception and they got a case out into the community. So no uh, any exceptions now. Would you get PJ to mention that Fight Club is cancelled for Lent? Alright. Thanks, Connor, for that. Fight Club is cancelled for Lent. And we've had a very angry caller on the phone about parties. Get to that one next. 185715996. The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See LehanMotors.ie. The drama is sensational. That's 80. Oh, he's done it. It's an equaliser. It's stoppage time. And it's all right here. Grealish for seven. Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. This Saturday, it's Southampton versus Chelsea at 12.30. Burnley versus West Brom at 3. Liverpool versus Everton at 5.30. And Fulham versus Sheffield United at 8.00. The Premier League Live Online. With Now TV. Only pay for the games that matter to you. Your sport on your terms. With Now TV. Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Must let you know what Luke O'Neill has been saying about holidays and about how, look, if we want to get our individual freedoms back and if we want to be able to go around our own country and see our own beautiful places and spend some time at our own lovely beaches, and the best thing we could do, and this is what I'm interpreting what he's saying, is just, you know, forget Tenerife this year. Forget about it, like. 1850-715-996, reminder to you to join Trevor Welsh this Saturday on 96fm.ie for Premier League Live exclusively online and powered by Talk Sport. As always, a great lineup this Saturday afternoon. 12.30, Southampton versus Chelsea. Burnley v West Brom at 3, Liverpool v Everton at 5.30 and Fulham against Sheffield United at 8 o'clock. All with Trevor and the crew. The Premier League live online with Now TV. Stream all the action from Sky Sports on the Now TV Sky Sports Pass and listen Saturday at 96fm.ie or get the 96fm app. If you open up the app, you'll see down the bottom our other streams and there it is, staring you in the face. Premier League Live, powered by TalkSport every Saturday with Trevor and the crew. 1850-715-996. I saw it, I actually noticed that this was gone. I thought she'd taken it down, Valerie. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. The, 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 the flag that's been outside Debenhams, the Taoiseach has let us down. I thought she'd taken it down. You didn't. No, we didn't. It mysteriously disappeared yesterday morning. Um... The last we saw, it was at half past ten. We had a cup of coffee down the lane. And when the next lot of girls started at 11 o'clock, it was gone. Wow. So have you uh, reported it stolen to the guards? We have. I rang the guards this morning and I I reported it stolen. So I'm going into the guard station there now to make a statement. Mm. Um, One of the stores in Patrick Street do have it on their CCTV so once we get the guards, they'll go in and have a look at it then to see who took it. Oh, so you don't know what happened yet, but no, there's there's CCTV footage of the of area. That. 
Yeah. Yeah. This sign cost us 150 euro. Yeah. So it's not that it's, it's a cheap sign. It's been up uh, for nine weeks. You know, so why all of a sudden it has disappeared. If it was a case of that it disappeared in the middle of the night, you'd say something. But the fact that somebody came and took it uh, in broad daylight, really, it's a bit... We're, just, we're wondering who it's upsetting, I suppose, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How is it attached? With ropes or cable ties or what? Uh, we had it attached with uh, strine, uh, with twine. Right. And it was well tied up there. You know, right. it wasn't just loose, it was well tied up, yeah. well secured. Right. Okay, and I have to, so you're going to get that CCTV um, pulled and looked at to see who did it. Exactly, because it's a very strong sign, and um, we'd be going mad that it is missing. Now we don't get it back. We actually are ordering another one, and we are going to put it back up there because it does need to be seen at the end of the day. You're still there. How many days now? Oh, three hundred and sixteen. I'm saying three hundred and seventeen. Yeah. You're not going to give up. No. <laughs> No, we're not. Um, if you've been honest with you, it's Micheál Martin that's delaying it because he's ignoring everything. I've sent him texts, even just yes- as early as yesterday morning, to that we'd have meet up with him whenever he wanted to meet up with us. Mm. Uh, Mandate have sent him letters saying the same thing, and he's not getting back to us at all. Yeah. Even though it was on the examiner cover last week that uh, he said he would talk to us. Yeah. When, when Kevin Foley came back uh, after the mediation process, when he came back with the fund for, for training and upskilling and all of that of three million. Your question was, wasn't it, we'll turn that into cash and yes. at least we'll start. But under the law, Val, he kind of can't. I know. And I, I I understand what you're saying. And a lot of people are saying that, right? But there's been a lot of precedent set this year. There's a lot of things that he was able to do this year that he wouldn't have been able to do 12 months ago. Yeah. So they, they they are in the position to be able to change this. They are in the position to be able to do this at the end of the day. And we'll be a thorn out of his side if he does sort it out. Yeah. You know, because I know he's constantly listening about us. Yeah, yeah. So all we're asking for is the three million to be turned into cash and we'll disappear. See, the more you read into it, and, and as you know, since, since day one, we've talked many, many times and I've always said that your situation is the new Vita Cortex and if things had been done after Vita Cortex, you wouldn't, we would never have been having these, these conversations, things exactly, that could and should yeah. have been done. But at the end of the day, the problem is KPMG and them all have to act within the law and the law states you're so yeah. far down the list. Exactly. And, KPM, and I have been saying this, I suppose, for a long time now, KPMG can't do anything unless the government agree. And when we went into the WRC, that's what she said at the time, that there was one party missing from the table, and that party had been the government. Yeah. The talks then went with Kevin Foley were going in a, in a very good direction. Yeah. In a very good direction. And then it literally changed overnight. Yeah. You know, once I'd say he started talking to the government, it just changed overnight. Yeah. You know? It's a tough situation, but you're a tough crowd. (laughs) Mostly women. (laughs) Am I surprised? (laughs) Valerie, we'll catch up again. Let me know if you find that flag and if if you find who whipped it. I will, of course. I will, of course. Take Thanks care. Very much. Thanks Take a lot. That's Bye. Valerie Conlon from Debrams. No, just look, talking about it over the weekend, about the whole situation, they're, they're still out there. It's 316 days, and legally, KPMG can do no more for them. Kevin Foley legally can do no more for them, because if they were to do any more than their remiss, they're the ones in trouble. Can the government change the law? 
impossible to know, but that's what they want. They want something done by the government to make the funds available. The three million that was put on the table after Kevin Foley's process, under the law as it stands, that was the best Kevin Foley could do. So where do you go from there? 1850-715-996. Got diverted there a small bit, but always t- t- important to keep tabs on what's happening with Debenhams. 1850-715-996. Let us listen to what uh, Luke O'Neill has been saying about holidays. Do that next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Take today's Throwback Thursday quiz. Also, want to make you a winner? All you got to do is get saucy. Join me from midday on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. So Luke O'Neill was speaking this morning at an online um, seminar hosted by uh, Olivia O'Leary. And he was talking about holidays and what might happen this summer. And you'll remember that last summer, uh, Professor O'Neill was saying that there would be parts of Europe that were actually safer for us to go to than to stay at home. And at the time, I was looking last year, for example, at the Canary Islands for my summer holiday, where the numbers were very, very low and we'd actually be safer there than we would be here. But in the end of the day, I didn't go because it was the right thing to do to not go. Um, but Luke O'Neill is now saying if we want to have matches and be able to go and enjoy our own country this summer, then we need to sacrifice the trip to the sun again. We may well get complete freedom in our country. Watch. Now, what I mean by complete freedom is fully open society, right? The price will be no international travel to stop it coming back in from outside. That may be the price we will pay for giving us our freedoms back internally in the country. Now, what I mean by that is attending sports events, maybe not 50,000 people, but relaxation. But the price we pay may be restricted international travel, just remember, because we don't want these variants coming in. Um, The South African one is a concern. The AstraZeneca vaccine did have less efficacy against that, you see. So again, we've got to keep an eye on that closely. The good news there is, by the way, we can keep an eye on it. We've great genomics, we've great ways to track it, you see. So we're on top of that one. But it may mean restricted travel for X number of months. I wouldn't put a number on it. The dream would be a green zone for all of Europe, by the way. Which he was talking about last year, but we're so far away from that that it's just a pipe dream at this stage anyway. No doubt we'll talk to Professor O'Neill at some stage on the programme soon. He's a busy man. It's hard to get him. Caller is livid. That's the word used, livid. His 17-year-old daughter got a video on social media last night of a party in County Cork. We believe the Bandon area. There were 20 or 30 students, again, we reckon secondary school, maybe fifth or sixth years, having a party. No evidence of distancing. The caller is a frontline worker and does deliveries, putting his life at risk every day. They deliver to COVID-positive patients and says the hairs stand up on the back of his neck when he reads on the docket that the customer is isolating. He said he's playing Russian roulette with his own life. These students who are partying don't give a flying forex and their parents don't care. 
going by the ages of those in the video, he reckons they don't drive. So their parents would possibly have dropped them to the party. And as long as that nonsense is going on, my friends, we'll be stuck in this flipping wormhole, this Groundhog Day, for a long time to come. PJ, do people not wash their hands after handling the bins then? Luke O'Neill says surface is not so much a problem. A one in 2,000... Yeah, this is the change in the science. A one in 2,000 chance of picking it up from the surface. But he also says continue with hand washing and hygiene practices. See, a one in 2,000 chance... Let's do some sums here. Um, a one in 2,000 chance in a country of 5 million people. That's 2,500 people picking up the virus. So it's not as remote as you might think. And that's every time they touch a surface. So it'll happen more than once. So let's be, let's be on a kuramuk. And yeah, there's no... Wipe down the bin when you bring it in. Wipe down the handle with a dental wipe and, and all that and wash your hands. How many times today did you wash your hands? If you can tell me, then you've not done it enough. That seems to be the way we've got to look at it now. There's a change in the law with regard to scrambler bikes where I think Gardaí will be entitled to seize them. They've been powerless to seize them in the past. That law is going to change following a lot of lobbying from various groups. Uh, It's a nightmare in certain parts of this city. Don O'Sullivan is with Impact Our Community Matters. Don, relief to you that now they can seize the damn things after all. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Yeah, I'd say it's good legislation that's after being passed. I suppose it's the second time of asking, really, for that legislation to go through the dial. Mm. Uh, but look, yeah, we welcome it in the, in our communities above. Because, because up to know, now, all that all that guards could do if they were called out to a complaint about a scrambler bike is ask them to move on, ask them to mm. behave themselves, unless someone was getting hurt by the things. Yeah. But yeah, now they exactly. can actually walk in and seize them. They can, and I think, you know, it's not going to be coming into the cover of darkness at first thing in the morning to seize the bikes. I think it's just, they know who's at it, you know, the one or two individuals who are at it up and down footpaths. But, you know, I see a lot of it up in my area, up in our area, and I think there is responsible parents there where their, their children have scramblers and motorbikes and things like that. Like, we're at the back of the water tower, there is a field, telecoms tower, they call it. Yeah. And... Uh, it's just a ring that the young lads go around. Now they're off the road, they're off the footpaths, and their parents do bring them up there. They have a bike trailer, they're in the back of a van, and they unload the bike and go through the field then. You know, that's fine. I don't think the guards are going to clamp down. I wouldn't like to see the guards clamping down that side where the no. parents are being responsible. Yeah. You know, and, and you're talking about greens in the middle of a, of a residential park, ah, which we yeah, talked about yeah. before. Yeah, and two, two and three of them up on the bike and they're going through, you know, where young kids are playing. And I think that's where the, the guards need to be looking at. And so, look, they have the power now, which is good to see. We welcome it in our, in our area, that, uh, that those powers are there. You know, again, you know, the guards will say, OK, Johnny, get off the road. You know, they may give my warning once and if the second time, then take the bike from him. Mm. You know, but look, parents are being responsible, I must say, and they've seen it only the weekend. A man pulled up in his van, his young lad with him, and took the bike out of the back of the van. Young lad, the helmet. But look, I think, yeah, there was the scourge for a long, long time. So hopefully that's, the campers will be put on that. But I think the guards, you know, again, it, it's going to education as well, PJ, where you, the issue before where they had an issue with horses and got these courses together of livery. 
you know, where they taught them about horses, what they need, what they do, you know. And it, it, it was a good outcome from it, you know, where the horses were roaming free, you know, they, they need suitable stables. Mm. You know, maybe that now for the bikes, you know, because the young lads are on the bike, they are doing a bit of a joyride, but they don't know the dangers. They're not at that age to yeah. know the dangers. Yeah. So some, are, some aren't. But I think for that educational side of it, maybe it would be a good idea to throw a couple of bobbits and get these courses going, you know, yeah. and yeah. have a repair and fix. Yeah. You know, so you'd have an instructor there, basic mechanics on them, and that'll take them off the, you know. But look, with this wasteland, with the telecom tower field above, you know, We've been saying it, you know, put them up there. You know, it's council land. So, you know, if they build a couple of ramps and leave them off, you know, you can't drive up. You ha- The bike would have to be brought up there by an adult. Yeah. You know, and then they're able to go on that. You know what they do? I, I suppose, in, in a way, you're you're kind of looking for the, the scrambler version of, of a skate park. There you go. You know, and, and that's the other side of it as well. And I think it would be good to have that. They're off the streets. You know, they can't come onto the to the track unless it's a trailer or a van that's bringing the, the bike up there, you know. And the girls will deal with, then with what's outside of that track, you know, like the skate, skate park, as you said. But, yeah, I think the council need to be proactive now on this. You know, the legislation is there. So I think the council now would need to start to say, OK, you know, there's people out there who will run courses on this, repairs, minor maintenance. It gives them an interest. They could go on to be mechanics. You know, yeah. hands on. You know, and that's broadening the the, the skill set as well for the young fellas coming yeah. into their latter years. You know, so yeah, look, we welcome that. But you know, I I must give hats off to the to the parents who are responsible with their children, Excellent. bringing them up on, on trailers and in the van. You know, so right. yeah, it's for, the, it's for those who it's for those who abuse abuse the privilege, as it were, that we need that that clamp down. And now the guards have the power to do it. Thank you very much, Donald Sullivan, uh, from Impact Our Community Matters. Big problem with Scrambler Wicks in many parts of the city. We've discussed it before. Green areas in the middle of a park and run, 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 run. And small children trying to play ball and walk their dog and that kind of thing. So that the guards will now have the power to seize any kind of a scrambler like that. 1850 We had a call from a plumber to say he was in a student accommodation yesterday doing a job. And when he went in there, there was nine young people with no masks on. He pointed it out to them. They just laughed at him and said, should the windows open? He said he left and we'll go back to do the job when they're not there because he'd be more comfortable doing it that way. He said it looked like they had a party the night before and who knows how many people were there. He said they're not getting it and they'll be... He said that they're not getting... Oh, they're not getting it. Like they don't get the situation and they'll be going home to their parents at the weekend, to different families and putting so many other people at risk. 1850-715-996. How many packages, this is Kevin on Twitter, how many packages will one delivery driver handle per day? That's all it takes, because we're not serious enough about getting it down to the zero levels. You see, if we get it down to the levels it was at last June, July and August, particularly late June to late July was our best month by far. If we can get it down to those levels, then we can rest a little bit easier with regard to surfaces and the likes of that. But at the moment, we need to be extremely careful. It can live on a surface for 72 hours, points out this message. I blame the government for cocking everything up from the start, especially over the Christmas period. They didn't listen 
A lot of cases started coming in in January. I've also heard that people died in hospital after catching COVID there. That's true. That's true, unfortunately. A lot of people picked up COVID in hospital. Hopefully, hopefully now with the vaccination of healthcare staff, that that will stop. That will stop. And there's a good, in, in all the negativity that's around this morning, it's just one of those negative old days. To look at the figures as they're developing, since they started vaccinating the healthcare workers, the nurses, the doctors, the frontline staff in the hospital, since they started vaccinating those people, new cases among that cohort, among frontline workers, has fallen off a cliff. So there's a thing in science called correlation doesn't imply causation, which means that just because it's happened doesn't mean it's a result of vaccination. But it looks bloody like it. That in the first few weeks of the year, when they were rolling out vaccines, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of frontline workers got vaccines. And now new cases on the frontline have started to tumble. That is very, very exciting. 1850-715-996. Irish College. Yeah, it's still a thing. Tracy, good morning. Hi, how are you? You've set up a petition. Tell me about it. Yeah, so um, basically what the situation is, is at the moment we found out during the week that Hibernia College students, as well as other students, are facing a fee of €650 to do the course of online. You're you're teaching student, you're you're student teachers. Yeah, we're with Hibernia College in Dublin. Right. And and as part of your year, you've got to take an Irish college, correct? Yeah, so originally pre-COVID, what the situation would have been would you would have to do two weeks in your first year and two weeks in your second year. Okay. Um, so this is why second year of Hibernia. So due to COVID last summer, we weren't able to go to the Gwaeltacht. So with the teaching council requirements, you have to do four weeks uh, immersive, but they had to change that now because of the situation to three weeks online. Um and it would have cost us originally seven hundred and fifty euro to go to the Gwaeltacht right. for two weeks, and now they're looking for six hundred and fifty euro from us to do the Gwaeltacht from home online. Hang on a while now. So you'd have gone to the Gwaeltacht for how much? Seven hundred and fifty euro. And for that, you'd have had your courses, obviously, and yeah, your so accommodation. It would have been full you would have had accommodation. You would have had your food. You would have had your tutoring. You would have had the. Um, schools down there, right. uh, the activities, the kiddies, everything. So for a so hundred euro less, everything was covered for seven hundred and fifty, food and all. That was the seven hundred and fifty, yeah. But to stay home and do it online, six hundred and fifty. Yeah, exactly. That's a bit Irish. Yeah, it's outrageous. But for you see, if you're in like a state institution, so if you did your qualification in Mary I or Frebel or Marino or any of those the government actually offers a grant for your um, Gwaeltoc fees of €650, so it'll cover the cost for them. But unfortunately, the fact that Hibernia is a private institution, we don't get that grant, we're not entitled to it. Right. So we're actually the only teachers that are qualifying that aren't entitled to the same support as our peers. And to whom do you pay the money, Tracy? That will be going to the Gwaeltoc providers. So it's going, what they're saying it's for is that they have to upgrade their technology basically to give us this service online. Right. So we're paying 650 euros for them to establish technology per person 
But like this is technology that's going to be used for years. Like you can see that things are going online. So effectively, it's our cohort of students that are being kind of penalised for something that's going to go on, you know, for a long period of time. Right. I can't believe that, though, that you've got 750 for all in, accommodation, food and everything to go with being in the Gweltacht. But to do it from home, as it were, is only €100 Euro less. Yep. Yeah, €100 Euro in the difference. And we haven't been given any breakdown of this. So, like, we have been looking for a breakdown of cost to explain, like, what exactly is it that that €650 Euro is covering? Because if you look at it, in 2019, there was actually um, an opportunity for students to do the Gweltacht and not do full board so they would have just been doing the tutoring they wouldn't have been taking the accommodation the food or anything like that and the students paid 400 euro for that right but now two years later we're paying 250 more euro, more to sit in our front rooms and do from home so using our own electricity you know so to whom have you sent this petition or started up this petition yeah, so we started the petition only yesterday and we actually already have close to 5,000 signatures on it, so it's doing amazing. Um, you know, it has caused huge ruckus in the media. Um, but we're trying to get it to, to the government um, just so that, like, we feel that we should be entitled to the grant the same as everyone else because even though we don't go to a state college, at the end of the day, we're teachers coming out working for the state the same as any other of our peers in state colleges. Yeah, and there's the thing. Is the Gweltuck provider that you would go as a student in a in a private college, is it the same Gweltuck provider as someone it's the exact from... the same provider. So had it been normal times and had we been going to the Gweltuck this summer, we would have been in the Gweltuck at the same time as students from Mary I, from Freville, from like DCU. Right, right. And they'd been getting the grant. They, so yeah, so originally it was just for people that were doing their undergraduate but it was only reintroduced last year for students that are now in the PMEP to get the grant as well but we were excluded from that as well so we're already disadvantaged being a private college that we don't get any state funded support like we don't get the Gwaeltoc grant we don't get student assistance fund the 250 student refund scheme we didn't get that either so like we are completely marginalised Okay all right, Tracy. I just wanted to bring that to, to listeners' attention. Thanks very much, Tracy Hayden. They have a petition set up for uh, student teachers, and they're in private colleges. And they would normally go to the Grail Talk twice in the course of their degree. And it's 750 to go on normal times, 750 for which you have your two weeks of your tuition, your courses your entertainment, your KLEs, which are a vital part of the course. Trust me, they are, because that's where you do your conversational Irish. And and your food and accommodation, the whole the whole lot for 750 quid. This year, obviously, there's no travel. They're not going, and they're doing it online, and it's costing them 650. Now, if that's not a bit Irish, I don't know what is. 185715996. On the vaccine... I was listening to the piece about the elderly couple not getting their vaccine. My mother's in her early 90s. When we rang the GP to arrange the vaccine, they said it'll be another couple of weeks before they get them done. It looks now like the rollout will be delayed because of this. Caller's wondering if other people are in a similar situation. They've said, they've said that they're going to get all the, under eight, all the over 85s done. Did they say by the middle of March or by the end of March at the latest and then on to the over 70s? But as Nick Flynn was saying to me in my very first interview of the week on the Opinion Line, 
Nick Flynn said to me that on the present scale of things, they won't have and the over 70s done until nearly the end of May. Now, that may all change because Leo Varadkar was telling his parliamentary party last night that there's going to be a million vaccines a month arriving in May, in April, May and June. That'll speed things up. But at the moment, with the supply they have, they'll be forever trying to get the over 70s vaccinated before they move on to the rest of us. 1850-715-996. Oh, I want to go to this because I know Louise... And your boss has allowed you to take my call. Uh, the PRO of Cork, Camogie, Louise Weldon. This has been running for a while, but it comes to a head the weekend after next. It's a huge fundraiser for Jigsaw uh, from the Cork, Camogie players. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me this morning. De- delighted to do so. Tell me what this is about. So, over the last couple of months, we've been looking at how we can connect with our players when we're off the pitch and out of training. And as a board, we're very conscious of our player welfare and we decided to link up with Jigsaw, who are doing a fantastic work and offer a free service for the youth in around the country, but specifically in Cork. And we want to reach out and raise some funds that we can't do, um, that they can't do at the moment, and get people back together. So we have a virtual 5K the weekend after next and we are encouraging all of our clubs and everyone around the county to get involved. Okay, how do they do that? There, if you head to the social media for Corkamogi, be that Instagram, Twitter or Facebook, there's a link to pop-up races and they have all of the details there. So to click the link, it's fairly cheap. Normally these races would come in at around 25, 30 euro a person. We've kept it to 15 euro to allow more people to take part. And for the 15 euro, everyone will get a limited edition t-shirt marking Come On Kirkig and also uh, jigsaws on the back of it. So that we'll be raising awareness, hopefully, for some time to come that this service is available. And you could do your 5K, you could walk it, you could run it, you can do it around the block, you can do it around wherever. You can do it wherever you want. I think the beauty of this is that you don't have to upload your time, but you can if you want to, okay? If it's going to take you a week to do the 5K or if you want to do it around your garden or your sitting room, that's up to you as well. So mm. the, the purpose of this is to get people connected and to get them involved and get them out there doing some bit of exercise, but doing it together but apart. Mm, We have to raise the awareness of the services that are out there, and I think the work that Jigsaw do needs to be recognised, but it needs to be out there as well for the kids to know that that the service is available. Okay, so it's just go on to the Cork Camogie website or social media and all the information is there. You must be missing it terribly, Louise, at this stage, are you? Um, Slightly demented. (laughs) <laughs> we'll be putting it mildly. Now, we've support around it. All of the clubs, the 66 clubs around the county have got involved. We've had huge support from your own Sinbar McCarthy. He's been fantastic to promote it, as has Mary Newman. Mm. And we have a PR team around us. But this is a no-brainer, PJ. I have to say, huge recognition to the county. Everyone has got behind us. Yeah. Every single club has reached out and said, yeah, we're going to do this. Um, and they'll do it in their own time, at their own pace. But the most important thing is that they're doing it and I think one of the added bonuses here is that our Lord Mayor has got behind us. He launched the event for us very kindly a few weeks ago. And he will be out Friday week with his uh, Come On Kirky t-shirt on him to support us on the day as well. No, no, no better buckle. All right. Absolutely. And you're, you're obviously relishing and hoping to get back on the field uh, fairly soon. It must be hard at this stage to be without it, particularly with it spring starting. Hard. Yeah, it is very hard. I mean, everyone is missing the training and the getting together, the social side of it, the competition side of it. But 
when you look at what the kids had and all of a sudden that's all gone and not just the children and the, the young players that are out there, also the coaches and the work that they've put in down through the years, we're going to lose some of it. They've made a huge effort to kind of keep the teams together, sending out um, training schedules and things like that for them to do. But we need to be back on the pitches as quickly and as safely as possible when that time comes. All right. Well, here's hoping it won't be too long. We just need to get those numbers way down and keep it safe for people to go out and play sport again. Thanks, Louise. 1850-715-996. Jigsaw. You want to help Jigsaw super work that they do, and we've talked about it before. The Cork Camogie do a virtual 5K. Walk around your bedroom. Doesn't matter. Walk, run, crawl, whatever. Listen, that's it. The programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Maureen Tuig, and we'll see you in the morning just after nine.